0: your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money saver tire and service deals today. Dobbs, with 43 locations, real deals are always close by.
1: Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Takes it right back and the shot comes on. Rebound into the slot, they score! Neighbors will roll it in behind the net. They center, they shoot, they score! 2-0 Buffalo, 18.35 to go. Huge start for Buffalo. Craig Baruby's is gonna take a timeout. Far wing they go. Center, tap in and score! Owen Power, his second NHL goal on a tap in. It's 3 nothing, And the Blues have hung their goalie out to dry. Tuck. In, Tuck drags, centers, and a backhand shot. Tage Thompson scores. Wow. Minute 10 into the second period, and it's a 4 0 Buffalo lead. Nine seconds to go, 5 3 the score here. What a disappointing way for this game to end. As bad of a finish as it was a start tonight for the St. Louis Blues. 5 3
3: the final. That was the voice of Chris Kerber last night on the call. You heard it here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. And really the only way you can label that game and that homestand, disappointing. You heard the sound effects from Cam Jansen, and it was all very suitable as the Buffalo Sabres beat the Blues five to three. Alongside Alexa Dad of Bally Sportsman West, she is in for our guy BK today. Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario. Let's start with a negative. Let's start with a negative. And I hate to be all pessimistic on this beautiful day outside. Hope everyone enjoyed the uh, storm of the century. What was it? Five to seven
4: inches that we were supposed to get, right? That yeah. looks
3: like about two. Maybe?
4: I'm coming back as a weather person in my next life.
3: Oh my gosh. Are you 100%. kidding me? That is the best job out there. It is. Like,
4: hey, it's probably going to
3: snow. And it did. It also was not good for the blues. So in that first period last night, it took... 90 seconds for the blues to be down two to nothing in the second period. It took them a minute and 10 seconds to be down four to nothing. Alexa, the slow starts for the blues have been apparent all season long and the biggest issue for this team is when they get down and they get to chasing they exhaust so much energy to try and get back into the game that they're not coming out on top and for the Blues last night Buffalo had their way with them in the first 10 minutes of that first period they mounted a comeback but it was too little too late and the Blues dropped to three and four on a seven game homestand that was as pivotal as you can ask going into as we approach closer to the trade deadline
4: I know everyone's doom and gloom and I'm not here to be all sunshine and rainbows and lollipops we need the but i will say it's a bit of an over exaggeration to, to judge the season on the last two games i think they played really well against nashville that's a team in your division that you gotta beat they scored five goals they had five different guys scoring goals in that game jordan Bennington was standing on his head he was excellent that's one of the best games that we've seen from the blues all around so far this year then you drop one of the Blackhawks. That, to me, is more of an indication of you're just not getting up for the teams that you should get up against because the Blackhawks obviously are not having a great season. You can't play down to your competition. Right. But once that message gets through, I think it, it changes a little bit. And also, it's not fair to judge your team based on Tate Thompson's having an insane <laughs> season. This guy is lights out. He's one of the best players in hockey right now, and he's in the Hart Trophy conversation. I mean, when you're having a conversation about how he is so good, and then you pin him up against your team he has a three-point night... It's a, it's a little tough to go ahead and judge your team based on that, I think. Absolutely.
5: Yeah. I, I, I thought last night was kind of the epitome of what the story of the season is. What word did you just use? I used epitome. I'm not, okay, I'm going to be honest. On. I'm not 100% sure that Epi- fit that there. <laughs> <laughs> epitome.
4: Yeah. You don't Google words before you use them? That's no, like my no, biggest thing. I, I, if I hear it. something, I'm like, oh, I want to use that. I just Google it, it first. did it work.
5: Phenomenal
3: job. A oh, oh, person or thing that you. is a perfect example of a particular quality of type.
5: Nailed it. that like you go to dream. gambling.
3: Yeah. This, you could dice. agree,
5: Tommy. You just got to send Tanner. it. Just go for it. Uh, but I, impressive. I, I thought the last two games were kind of the epitome of what the season has been for the St. Louis Blues, where it is. You dig yourself a ditch early on in, in the last two games, the case for the Blues is the game, and for the season it was that seven game losing streak that we've talked about and, and they dug themselves such a hole that it's tough to climb out of. The last two games were samples, examples of that last night going down 4 nothing, They played pretty well after that, but it was just, wasn't enough. It's kind of what the season feels like for the St. Louis Blues where they are, they dug themselves a hole and they can't seem to find a way to get back out of it. This was a big opportunity last night. They looked like a team to me that knew they had missed their opportunity to try and change the mind of Doug Armstrong at the NHL trade deadline where they came out slow. It looked like a team that just knew things were over for them. And and post-game, it sounded like a defeated team that knows, you know what, the deadline's looming, and there's going to be a lot of guys that aren't going to be in this locker room moving forward. So I thought last night was just one of those games.
4: New things were over, then why not give up? Okay, slow start. That, to me, is is definitely puzzling. Why does the head coach have to take a timeout and, like Braden Shen, have to tell the team to wake up? That's a problem, for sure. But if you are defeatist attitude through and through in that locker room. Why not just give up and roll over and lose, you know, five to one and keep it moving?
3: Why not? Why not avoid the fight?
4: What's the fight for then is my question. The
3: three nothing shutout against the Minnesota Wild. You went on that road trip and you picked up a couple of big time victories for this team. That to me is the frustration of the season, Alexa, because for me this year, the Blues have been a team. You never know what you're getting on a nightly basis because you come into the Chicago Blackhawks and you're thinking this game is going to be an easy victory for the Blues. They got a rookie goaltender in net. Where are we going with this? And you lay a dud. The Buffalo Sabres game, I kind of anticipated the, the way that that one started. I didn't anticipate the Blues pushing back, but this has been my issue all season with the Blues to where you start off slow and you look at this and you say, this is, this is not this team because there is so much talent on that roster, defensively, goaltending, offensively, power play, special teams. Why does it take... A intermission for a team to go in the locker room. I can't tell you the amount of times after victories I've heard Mike Van Ryan tell curbs and Joey on home games of, well, chief had to go in there and give him the big rah-rah speech. And then we figured it out and played well the rest of the way. That's not a team that can go deep into a postseason. That's not a team that's built for success if they have to rah-rah themselves up in January 24th in the National Hockey League, where you got to say, guys, that was an awful period. Let's go. The first period should be your best period, especially against a team that's coming off of a back-to-back. Buffalo had won one game this season out of nine, one out of nine when they played in the second of back-to-back games, and they just picked up their second last night.
5: And to that point, you know, you mentioned why why does it take a period for the rah-rah speech? They're not they're not playing the desperate hockey. Where Tori Krug mentioned that post game, and you look at this team where they sh- they shouldn't need the rah-rah speech going into a game like that. They shouldn't have needed rah-rah speeches on this homestand. And I, I understand the point of pull. Well, they fought back in that game, and I think there's there's something to that, but. They shouldn't need these raw rah speeches to get ready. They they need to be ready to play. Last night it almost looked like they didn't get the memo. Seven o'clock was puck drop. Eight o'clock, eight o'clock was puck drop for the St. Louis. No, that's Blues. Thursday's
3: game against Arizona. Well,
5: they got that's the wrong time. Yeah, they got the, great, the wrong. Time. The thing is
4: also you have to factor in the fact that they had two of their major guys, actually three. Factor in all of them injured. So you have this homestand where you don't have Vladimir Tarasenko, you don't have Ryan O'Reilly, you don't have Troy. Grou- Those are three huge leaders on this team who actually take up t- not only you know time, but they fill the score sheet. And so to not have those guys, that's a tough, Uh, You know, mindset to wrap your head around to get back out there on the ice and say, okay, well we're down several guys. Now it's just us left to go. And there was a push at the beginning when those guys were hurt, where the younger guys were coming in and saying, okay, we're getting our ice time. Let's make the most of it. Once that kind of fades, then what are you left with? You're left with trying to get that entire team to figure it out on their own. And sometimes it's just not feasible for the amount of time that you need it because those guys are, you know, were hurt for so long. But now you got Vladdy back and you got Cruz. back you like what you could potentially be seeing from them because Vladdy played really well last night and so did crew crew oh, got yeah. two assists
3: yeah Vladdy for me Vladdy was the circumstance of missed a lot of time because he had nine shot attempts five of them missed the net that's a guy that's trying to get back into the rhythm of timing in the NHL. getting your
4: swing back, back down, absolutely. your timing. Yeah. But he had
3: point-blank shots, which, sure. which was absolutely a good sign for Vladdy. Here's Tori Krug after the game last night. Tanner mentioned his comments about desperation, and I think it was a really impactful
4: quote maybe some more desperation um, the way things are going right now you got to be desperate, play desperate hockey in order to collect points And um, desperation starts the
5: first battles at both ends of the ice in front of the net and uh, you got to do the job otherwise it's too hard at this time of the year to, to come back
3: the desperation, y- you watch individual players last night Alexa the desperation I saw in Jake Neighbors, I saw the desperation in a couple of the guys on the fourth line, I saw the desperation in Tyler Tucker, you see the desperation in the guys that won, don't want to go back down to the AHL yes and two are young and trying to make a name for themselves you don't see the desperation from certain veterans on the team that aren't making those plays to stop the play in the slot that aren't making the smart plays with a goaltender pulled and you have the power play that to me is desperation hockey that Tori Krug is speaking of the veterans making the right plays in the timely manner rather than sitting there and saying, oh, they just need to hit more. No, they need to make the smarter plays because they know that you have to pick up points in games like this.
4: By the way, good for Tori Krug coming back and basically being like, I'm going to take over as being a leader a right leader. now, Absolutely. not only on the ice but in the locker room as well, right? Two assists, three attempts, 21 minutes of ice time last night. Good for him. He missed 13 games. Unbelievable to come back and be that efficient and then also to stand up and actually say something when the media comes to him and is like, well, what's wrong with this team? We're not doing something, guys. It's a call to action from Tory Krug to say, uh, you know, we need to play Desperation Hockey. And from what I've heard in the past, guys like Chris Pronger, Hully, were those guys on the bench or those guys who were constantly saying, get your butt you know, in gear mm-hmm. and take it to that level that we need to get to and maybe Krug and this comment right here could be a bit of a spark plug to say hey guys this is what we need let's rally around
3: yeah I, I know people poo poo a lot on Tory Krug because you know people expected a lot more from him but Tory Krug I thoroughly enjoyed that he was the one that spoke last night after the injury coming back having a good night but calling out his team that's what leaders do and I think Tory Krug yeah. achieved that by the way T-Bone we gave you all this praise. You pronounced it wrong. Oh,
4: oh the text it's, line is freaking out right it's, now.
3: It's epitome, not epitome. Epitome. I think
5: epitome's a word,
3: too. <laughs> I mean, you could probably pronounce it that way, <laughs> but it's epitome. So, 50 50 shot. By the way, if you want to make fun of us on our Air Comfort Service text line, well, all three of us, really. You can do so. 314-399-9646, because I promise you I'm going to say something dumb at some point today. 314-399-9646. The Blues will be back in action tomorrow night when they take on the Arizona Coyotes. Three more games before they get to the All-Star break and that bye week. We'll get more into that a little bit later on. David panyota is going to join us of SiriusXM NHL, and Chris Kerber is going to join us in the 12 o'clock hour. But coming up next, we've got some awesome news yesterday for the Cardinals and for base as Scott Rowan is headed to the Baseball Hall of Fame. We'll discuss that next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Moore going back at the track, gone, red slam, Scotty Rowland. Runners go and the pitch is hit left side, Rowland from his knees, oh what a play. Now Rowland with a chance to give the Cardinals a lead for the first time tonight, which he does, is it good?
3: Scott Rowland highlights. You can't get sick of hearing those. Back in on BKN Ferrario alongside Alexa Datt and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. We found out last night that Scott Rowland is headed to the Baseball Hall of Fame as he was voted in by five votes. 76.3% got Scott Rowland to the Baseball Hall of Fame, who started off his first year of eligibility about made fun of you, and now I can't pronounce Josh a damn Murray, name. <laughs> about eligibility. This God, I did it to myself. 10%. 5% gets you off the ballot. He gets 10% in that first year and jumps all the way back to getting into the Baseball Hall of Fame. 17 seasons, over 2,000 games played, a 218 career batting average with a 364 on-base percentage. He had 316 home runs, won the rookie of the year with the Phillies, seven-time All-Star. Four of those came with St. Louis, and then, of course, the World Series champ in 2006, and I saw a lot of people last night, Alexa, discussing, was Scott Rowland really a Hall of Famer? That's up for debate, but in St. Louis, it is such a cool thing to see another member of the Cardinals history enter the Baseball Hall of Fame.
4: I agree, and I think for St. Louis, this is a really awesome honor, and it says not only a lot about Scott Rowland, but about that era, about the MB3, and I think just in general, kind of reminiscing about that that period of baseball here in St. Louis has been really fun for a lot of Cardinals fans, and listen, he was a great baseball player, and you can debate all day whether he was a Hall of Famer or not. The thing is, he is. The baseball writers voted him in. So that is the bottom line and and that's that's what we go off of, right um, so it'll be honestly, I thought the coolest part last night was the video where the I think the Reds posted it mm-hmm. where he was telling his parents, yes oh, yeah. and he had also told incredible. Katie Wu that his you know best game, his best memory from playing was when he made his debut and he saw his parents walk into the stands and sit in the family section, and he teared up, and he had trouble finishing the inning because he was so emotional and so it's like. He's just such a good guy, yeah. which was really cool. Also, there were like three dogs running around in that video where he was <laughs> telling his people, parents and his dog people. I was like, "Is that a corgi?" Because I'm really <laughs> interested in that. But no, it was just a, it was a really sweet moment. And then also afterwards, did you know, hear that he his son was like, "Can we go play catch outside?"
3: No, did he say that? Yeah. So as Get soon as he here. received
4: the call his fourth grade son asked if he wanted to have a catch he's like it's 30 degrees here it's supposed to snow 12 inches but there we were 15 minutes after the call in the driveway playing catch i'll remember that forever yeah pretty cool
3: that's that's really cool and i love that video too by the way it just goes to show you the type of person scott Rowland is i I mean on mlb network when they announced him he's he's facetiming and the first thing he does is he shows his entire family in the living room so um it's a a fitting thing for scott Rowland. and when you think of his time in st louis and i know this is been debated of, oh, is he going to put the Cardinals cap on? Is he going to put the Phillies cap on? For me, and I am saying this because I am a St. Louis person, and I grew up. I, Scott Roland was my favorite player growing up. I wanted to play third base because of Scott Rowland. But if you think of the impactful moments of his career. Other than that rookie of the year with the Phillies, all of his big moments came with St. Louis. You get the World Series. You get to the World Series in 2004. You're part of the MV3. You're, you're you're on the scene with all of those gold gloves because of that season. And the one season, I think it was 2006 or maybe it was 2005, he was fourth in votes for the MVP.
4: I think that if you heard his conversation with Bob Costas last night asking him what cap he's going to wear in the hall... It was very telling because he was talking about all the relationships that he built in Philly. That's where he first learned not only to play baseball, but how he learned to play defense, yeah. which is the most important part of his game, I believe. And the fact that he forged so many friendships there originally before he came to St. Louis, it, it kind of got me thinking like, OK, well, he is having a little bit more of a debate internally about what's where besides just, you know, OK, had his formative years in St. Louis and also won the World Series, you know, things like that, but um, it it did actually bring in a a human aspect, because it is his choice as to what he decides to go in the hall wearing, and uh, I'll be curious to what he... I I think it's Cardinals too. Yeah. I mean, I I think that's... But it's interesting, his internal dialogue uh, debating what he should wear.
3: Well, and I love the quote in Katie Wu's piece on The Athletic, which, by the way, go check it out. She did a phenomenal job kind of breaking down Scott Rowland's uh, election into the Baseball Hall of Fame, but I love love the quote he said about when he was traded to St. Louis. He said, I always saw myself as a pro baseball player, but I didn't know what it meant to be a pro baseball player until I got to St. Louis. The quote he used to Katie Wu was, I used to get to the ballpark at three because that's what I thought everybody needed to do. But when I got to St. Louis, I got to the ballpark at three because everybody did that and they loved their job. Yeah. And like, it, it just stuck out to me because it felt like Scott Rowland came into his own as a baseball player when he stepped into St. Louis because Philly, you're that young guy. We see that for a lot of players in pro sports where you start off in one team and you're the young pup that everybody's excited about. You win the rookie of the year and expectations are through the roof and then it kind of goes away a little bit because there are the expectations that are through the roof and it's like, man, he's not going to get to that potential. He goes to St. Louis and he becomes a part of that MV3.
4: Yeah, and I think it's interesting to to kind of listen to him talk about it, but you know, good for For him and good for St. Louis, good for baseball in general, because you know, you're gonna have Fred McGriff and Scott Mm Rowland both going in, uh and both you know, well deserving of the honor. Um and, and I'm excited because we have a bunch of guests to talk to about Scott Roland, who played with them. I mean, Daniel Descalso, I think, tweeted last night who played against him, right? Because Descalso was here in mm-hmm. St. Louis and this was when uh Roland was in Cincinnati. Yeah. If I'm yeah, towards I'm not mistaken. the tail end of his career. Yeah, Descalso was saying as a middle infielder you had to be aware of Roland on first base. So he was saying if there was a double play ball, he was coming in hard to break it up. For a big man, he got on you quick, he did it cleanly, but he made sure you We're going to earn that double play like tons of respect skip schumacher wore soccer shin guards to play (laughs) against him like this guy was tough he was a tough guy and that reputation carried you know through the years and it was it's pretty cool listening to the stories of of players who played against him tell them he had a quote and i can't remember
5: where i saw but it was him talking about being an aggressive base runner and being a guy that was big on running the base paths and it was like that, not only does he play his defensive style on him at the plate is a guy that we always comp like Nolan Arnato to when the Cardinals acquired Nolan Arnato, but when he was talking about, oh, I'm I'm aggressive on the base pass, I'm always running hard, this, that, and that, and I was like... Mike, that sounds like the Big Fundy, too. I was like, that sounds like Goldschmidt (laughs) and Arnado combined, and that was Scott Rowland, except he never played first. He was just at the hot corner for a really long time.
3: So July 23rd is when he, along with Fred McGriff, are going to go into Cooperstown together as Scott Rowland is officially a baseball Hall of Famer. And as Alexis mentioned, we are going to talk to a couple of his former teammates. One thirty today, we're going to talk with David Eckstein about playing with Scott Rowland. But coming up next, Ryan Ludwig, who played one season with him in St. Louis and then one season with him in... In Cincinnati, so a lot of Scott Rowland stories coming next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Rollout deep left field. More going back track, gone, red slam, Scotty Roland Runners go and the pitch is hit left side, Roland from his knees, oh, what a play. Now Roland with a chance to give the Cardinals a lead for the first time tonight, which he does, is it going
3: Scott Rowland, the newest member of the Baseball Hall of Fame alongside Bally Sportsman West's Alexa Datt and Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario as we head to our Brown and Crouppen celebrity line now to welcome in one of his former teammates. Played with the Cardinals from 2007 to 2009. Also played with Scott Rowland in Scott's final year in Cincinnati. He is Ryan Ludwig. Ryan, it is great to catch up with you today. How are you, sir?
6: I'm doing well. I'm doing really well down here in Texas. Thanks for having me
3: on. Absolutely. Pretty, pretty, so let's just, Lee, I was going to say, Ryan, let's start right there. What was the initial reaction when you found out that Scott Rowland was going to be a baseball hall of
6: famer? You know, I found out through a friend, I wasn't watching it as it happened live, but as soon as I found out, I, I reached out to him and congratulated him. And, and, um, obviously I know he had a lot of people pouring into him. He got back to me and said, thanks, but, um, what a great guy, what a great player. And, um, just, just what an honor to be able to play with him, and, and I'm glad he's in the hall.
4: Ryan Alexa here from Ballet Sports Midwest. Good to talk to you. I want to ask you one specific memory that you have of Scott that you can give us. Maybe something that you haven't divulged before. That's appropriate for radio, of course. <laughs> uh, that you can give us some insight into his personality and what he was like as a teammate.
6: So um, there's quite a few. Um, if you just want one. My favorite memory of Scotty is. Um, a lot of people realize and a lot of people don't realize he's one of the toughest guys I've ever played with. Um, and, and, and there's no doubt like top five for sure. But if someone were to get hit by a pitch, I don't know if this has been discussed on radio yet. Um, if he was in the dugout and you showed any mercy as far as going to the ground or rubbing it, uh, let's just say, um, I can't get into the words that were used or I can't describe exactly how that situation looked, but, um, he would wear you out. So, um, yeah, he would be yelling from the dugout, and uh, he, he he didn't take it lightly if, if you uh, showed, showed weak getting hit by a pitch.
3: So were <laughs> guys afraid to react to getting hit by pitches when Scott Rowland was in that dugout?
6: Oh, 100%. Especially, you know, it, it was a little different in Cincinnati. You know, I played with him in St. Louis, and um, he was one of the guys who actually took me under his wing when I first came up with the Cardinals. Him And I'd say Chris Carpenter were the two veterans that kind of took me under their wing, and you know, would take me out um, after the game or sit by me during stretch and talk to me. Uh, you know, it'd be Roland and Gary Bennett usually. But, um, you know, on the St. Louis team, you had a lot of veteran players, right? And then when I went over to Cincinnati, I was kind of one of the veteran players. And Scotty was like the super veteran player. But we had, we had a pretty young club over there. And, um, you know, just the amount of respect uh, he had when I went over there, because I knew Brandon Phillips, I played with him in the minor leagues, and, and, you know, just talking to the Cozarts and the Jay Bruce's and the Joey Vatos of the world, the, the amount of respect they had for, for Scott Rowland as far as a leader and um, being um, just kind of a, the statue of that team was, was awesome. You know, uh, I kind of saw two different Scotties, you know. So um, I saw the leader, Scotty, and then I saw kind of the Scottie in, in St. Louis that was part of a, kind of a bashing crew that won a World Series and, and, and was just uh, – Just a phenomenal teammate all around on both ends.
4: Ryan, based on that story, I kind of picture Scott getting ready for the baseball season like Happy Gilmore gets ready for the (laughs) hockey season, just in the batting cage, just getting smashed by baseball. Oh, yeah, do it again. Yeah.
6: (laughs) Yeah, I never saw him do that, but he didn't show in in anything he did. So I get over. Everyone knows the story, right? A very, very unfortunate situation, obviously. Um the Brandon Phillips, uh, Yadier Molina situation, where I had been traded to the Padres already in 2010, and there's a bench clearing brawl, right? Um, so I get traded over the Reds, and I'm hearing the stories from the Red side. I've already heard the stories from the Cardinals side, and um, you know, when I get over Cincinnati, I hear everyone talking about like Scotty and how he kind of protect. He, he was he he was the one of the first guys out there. He's protecting that whole team. Obviously, he played for the Cardinals, but. The story is, and I don't know if this is true, that Chris Carpenter got pretty fired up. And um, Scotty was trying to calm him down and literally picked him up with both hands by the shoulders and, like, picked him off the ground and carried him, like, 10 feet and, like, sent him to the side. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that, that's, the, that, that's the tale. And uh, I wouldn't doubt it because he, like I said, he's one of the strongest dudes I ever played with.
3: That's incredible. We're talking with Ryan Ludwig, former Cardinal and teammate of Scott Rowland here on BK and Ferrario. So Luddy, I want to go back to when you were signed by St. Louis, it was following that world series championship season. That was the final year of Scott Rowland. But for you, you and Scott were kind of around the same age. If I'm not mistaken, Scott was 27, 28. No, I'm sorry. He was 31, 32 years old. You were 28. You had been in the league for a a cup of coffee, a, a few seasons. What was that like for you stepping into that clubhouse where you had Scott Rowland and you had Jim Admins and you had Albert Pujols with all of those those big names around? You
6: know, it was uh, it was it was it was awesome to be honest. I mean, I, that word gets used a lot, but you know, I came up with the Rangers and I had a clubhouse of you know Alex Rodriguez, Juan Gonzalez, Rafael Palmeiro, Ivan Rodriguez, Carl Everett, uh, uh, Michael Young, and and a lot of big names, right? And then I come over here. And I have a lot of big names in between. I had Cleveland that had a lot of big names, but we were all young. You know, the Coco Crisp the Victor Martinez is the C.C. Sabathia is the Clint Leaves of the world. But, um, at that point in my career, I was a little bit older and, and to see the difference in clubhouses, um, you know, being in Texas, this is nothing against Texas, but the team chemistry over there wasn't as good as the team chemistry in Cleveland. We were younger. We didn't know what we were doing, but in St. Louis, um, there was, there was just something special, and, and, and I think that's really why they won a championship. You know, I always talk to people about I'm a firm believer in team chemistry. Um, I, I think it wins, but obviously you got to have talent too. But that team was very talented, and the chemistry on that team was unbelievable. And, and I think that's why, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if you know, but I do work for the St. Louis Cardinals in the organization. And when I got out of baseball, I reached out to two teams. This is home. This is where I want to be. Um, I think Mo and that staff does a tremendous job and there's a reason the Cardinals are are, are have a history of winning. It's that they do it the right way and that, that clubhouse tends to be phenomenal year in and year out and, and when I came up they treated me the same way. They treated me like I'd been there for ten years and, and uh it was just it was it was a perfect fit.
4: Ryan, we obviously know the stats, right? Seven time all star, eight time gold glover for Scotty. But when you looked at his defensive abilities, what made him one of the best defensive third basemen of all time?
6: Alexa, I think you hit it on the head. Like, I don't think any of us saw it, but I think he was underneath that cage, like taking balls off his teeth and like blocking balls like a hockey goalie. But he is by far the best defensive third baseman, not even close that I've ever seen play the game.
3: Wow. That's that's impressive. And, and you see Nolan Arenado, as you mentioned, say, you're with the Cardinals. Yeah. You see, do you see a lot of Scott Rowland and Nolan Arenado, Luddy?
6: Oh yeah, I do. And, and I played against Nolan um, early on in his career in Colorado. Now, I think Nolan is obviously the best defensive third baseman in the game right now. And and you know when it's all said and done, maybe he's better than Scotty. Um, maybe they're equal right now. But as far as like when I played, Scotty was the best. I watch Nolan now, and obviously I do. I see a lot of Scotty in him. Um, You know, offensively they can both carry a team. Um, Intensity wise, I've been around Nolan. I've been in that clubhouse. He's super intense, just like Scotty, and they both have they both have a a, a tremendous winning mindset. They 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 compete, they battle, and they they, neither one of them want to lose one bit.
3: A couple more questions for former Cardinal Ryan Ludwig with us here on BK and Ferrario. Ryan, you mentioned that that Roland was one of those guys that took you under his wing. You saw the leadership in Cincinnati. You were a part of that leadership in St. Louis. What was it about? Because I feel like that area of athletes, people don't talk enough about of how good of leaders they are and why they're such good leaders.
6: Yeah, and it's, it's different, right? Like Some people will lead through their play. Some people will lead um, in the clubhouse. Some people will lead... Um, really vocally, he was, he was a silent leader, not, not silent in the means that he didn't talk, but like, if there was something that happened and you did something wrong, he would just pull you aside, put, put his arm around be like, Hey, laddie. like, Hey, next time do this. Right. Um, he was very, very, um, dry with a sense of humor. Uh, sometimes he would, if you made a mistake, he would make fun of you in a dry sense of humor way, but he did it in a way that made you feel comfortable, right? Um, and obviously, he did it through his play as well. Like, the guy was – we just talked about it. He was the ultimate competitor. He was a vacuum over at third base. So, when you watch the play, you're like, holy cow, this guy is getting after it day in and day out, and he's not leaving anything on the field. So, as a player, when you see all those things, you respect it and, and you, you – somewhat idolize them and you look up to them and you kind of want to be the same guy. You know, that's kind of how I played. I wasn't near the player energy of of these guys we're talking about, but every time I put that uniform on in St. Louis, I think that's why the fans respected me. I left everything on the field. Now I wasn't as good as them, but that was my goal every day. I wanted to leave that field being like a Scott Rowland, knowing that I left everything out there and every day, you know, for his entire career, I think that's why he's a hall of famer. He went out there and played the game as hard as he could, and he put, poured everything into it, and, and he's just a great, great guy.
4: Ryan, let's talk to the haters for a second because there are a lot of them out there in terms of people saying that, is Scott right. a Hall of Famer? And, you know, questioning his, his metrics, his ability, his leadership, you know, everything that goes into the decision of making a, a Hall of Fame player, you know, uh, into the Hall. So for you, what would you say to the haters in terms of why Scott Rowland is a Hall of Famer?
6: Well, you know, I think if you're a true baseball historian, you got to look at the way this game has changed. The game the game today is different than the game it was in 2010, and the game is different than in 2010 than it was in 2000, and in and 2000 it was different than 1970, and 1970 was different than 1950, and 1950 was different than 1930, right? So the game's ever revolving. So, or not revolving, evolving. Sorry. Uh, wrong, wrong. We've had that kind of day today, Luddy. We've all
3: done the same thing.
6: (laughs) I mean, look at today, like pitchers, starting pitchers aren't pitching as long into games as they did, you know, 15 years ago, the bullpen is used much more often. Strikeouts are up because guys are throwing harder. Well, he was kind of in that, that, that transition phase where the game was changing in my opinion. So the numbers are going to change too. And, and, maybe that people think the numbers aren't good enough, but like when it comes to the hall for me, it, like his numbers are good enough for me. And it becomes about the person and being around that person, what we talked about, knowing what type of player that guy was and knowing the grit he had and knowing the way he took the field every day and how hard he played the game. So for me, um, it's really cool because I, I can say I've played with the hall of famer and I played with a couple others that like I named before and, in, and in, in Texas and I'm sure some of those guys in Cleveland will get it as well. But, um, I, I'm super happy for him. I'm super proud of him, and I know he's pumped up, and, and um, I can't wait for him to get up there at Cooperstown and hear his speech, and yeah, it's just it's incredible.
3: Absolutely. We're all stoked here in St. Louis just as much, Ryan. Hey, one more for you before we let you go. Not so much on Roland, but I did want to ask you about one player for the Cardinals who has mentioned you by name of how impactful it's been so far in his early career, and that's Jordan Walker. What have your thoughts been on this young player, and, and is the excitement real here in St. Louis for fans?
6: I mean, the sky's the limit, right? Like everyone knows this. He's, uh, uh, it's, uh, he's superhuman. I mean, he's just superhuman. And you know, it's an honor for him to to say those words about me because that's that's what I'm doing on this side of the game. Is I'm pouring my heart into these, these young kids, and and um, you know, I get to see these guys like Nolan Gorman and Brennan Donovan and Tommy Edman, and you know, guys who have moved on, Paul DeYoung, guys have moved on, like Luke Voit, and and Harrison Bader and I get these guys, you know, you know, their first day in a Cardinal uniform and um, he's just a really impressive young man. And he's intelligent. Um, obviously we all know the background. He's a monster. He eats the ball as hard as any young man I've ever seen in my entire life. And, you know, hopefully things keep trending in a positive direction because if they do um, I truly believe he could be one of the next St. Louis Cardinal Hall of Famers. I, I, I see that, 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 That in his career, but you know, obviously, there's 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 time in front of him. He still has to get there, and we got to see what we got. But Jordan Walker is one of the most exciting prospects I've ever seen play the game in my entire life.
3: That's awesome. Well, and he's not getting to this point without guys like you that are working with him on a daily basis. So,
6: with with that being said, we got some other guys in the organization that are very exciting too. So, you know, this window, uh, this group of guys we got coming up, it's going to be. I'm really excited for you and Alexa and and the fans of St. Louis to see these young guys coming up because um, we got some really good talent and we got some really good talent on the way,
3: man. We can't wait to see it. And uh, baseball season's getting closer and closer. Luddy, appreciate you taking some time out to talk about your buddy, Scott Rowland. Um, thank you so much for, uh, for making some time for us and uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy the rest of the off season before things kick into high
6: gear. Thanks, y'all. I really appreciate y'all have a great day. And, um, Thanks for thanks for doing this for Scotty. He, he deserves it.
3: Absolutely, Ryan Ludwig, former Cardinal and a former teammate of Scott Rowland, and I think he laid he it says, out.
4: He says y'all. I know that's my favorite a
3: Texas guy. That's I love, my favorite. I love him. I, I think I think you asked the perfect question, Alexa, and he laid it out perfectly for the people that do question Scott Rowland's Hall of Fame eligibility. And you're going to do that no matter what because that's just what we do in today's day and age. But. There's other there's underlying elements that go into being a Hall of Famer than just the numbers, and I think Ludwig laid it out perfectly there, talking about the leadership quality and what he meant to a team on the field.
4: I love the fact that the backstories are so intense. By the way, people on the text line are confirming that Carp story is real. So. I've heard that he is just it, a monster. Yeah,
3: he is the the strength of a bear. I saw somebody text, and and I remember Klays telling me that story that it was. It was Scott Rowland that found a way to calm all that down because it takes a lot of people to try and stop a Chris Carpenter That's when right. he's in full rage.
4: That's right. Yeah. Great story by Ryan. I Absolutely. love that. And also Ryan's so right. I was just telling Randy this when I passed him in the hallway in terms of Jordan Walker. I talked to Jordan Walker for five minutes during the baseball writers dinner before I interviewed him. And then I interviewed him on stage for like maybe 10, 15 minutes. I had him and Groseppo. Jordan Walker, to me, is the most poised prospect I've ever seen in my entire life. He sounds like
3: a major leaguer already.
4: It was incredible. I went up to both of his parents and I said congratulations not for the athletic ability of your son but for how you raised him to be a good person. He is a kind thoughtful, amazing human. And he is 20 years old. Yep. I don't know what I was doing at 20, but... Not that. <laughs> I would go back and be Jordan Walker if I could, because what an <laughs> awesome dude he is.
3: <laughs> I probably would be doing that exact same thing yeah. with you. So, some strong words there from Ryan Ludwig on Jordan Walker. If you missed any of that interview, you can check it out after the show, 101 ESBN.com. Thanks to Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers for being a part of that podcast. We'll take a break. We'll come back and get to our questions and answers segment. If you've got questions, text them to us, 314 399 We'll hit that next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text 314-399-9646. BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net.
3: Alexa, dad of Bally Sports Midwest and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. We've got David Panyota of Sirius XM NHL Radio, uh, also uh, editor-in-chief for the fourth period. is going to join us coming up in about five minutes or so. Get his thoughts on the rumor mill and trade deadline as it quickly approaches. But let's get to some of these questions now and start here, Alexa, from the 314. What Cardinals prospect outside of the top five? are you most excited about this year?
4: Ooh, that's a good question. Top
3: five would be Walker, Wynn, Graceffo, Libertor, and Burleson.
4: Okay. Um, let's see. Tank Hentz is, has been on my mind recently, and, and I'm excited to see him. He's still got a little bit of a ways to go, mm-hmm. right? He's an A-ball. Yeah. How about Michael McGreevy? Oh, yeah. I'd like to see that. He's got a four-pitch arsenal. They really like his fastball, getting to the mid-90s. Uh, he's got two different breaking balls. I'm, I'm excited to see what he looks like on the mound. He's a big dude. Um,
3: he has six has four, two 215 yeah. pounds. That's a tank right there. That's a
4: tank. So I'm excited. I had a UC Santa Barbara. Obviously, that's where Shane Bieber came out of as well. And we saw what Shane Bieber was able to do in the pros. <laughs> so I don't want to put the exact same label oh, no, no, on no, him. No, no, no. That's but, okay. Like, Let's, Shane
3: Bieber 2.0 let's do, <laughs> let's do, it. do it we need it
4: <laughs> yeah so McGreevy let's uh, do I like that. it.
5: I, I saw McGreevy pitching Springfield for a game last year he's got some good stuff now yeah. he did wear down as the game got along but that's because he's building up strength still as a young prospect but he is a guy that I think could come out of the bullpen this year for the Cardinals just seeing him and hit the way that he pitches uh, another guy that I'll have an eye on because you're not going to see him this year but I'm excited to see what he looks like in the minors that was the Cardinals l- latest first round pick and Uh, Cooper Jerpy, the left-hander out of Oregon State. I think they expect him to be a quick riser through the minor leagues as a guy that pitched three years at the NCAA level. So getting to see him in the minor leagues will be interesting to watch and you know I gotta keep an eye on my guy, Connor Thomas. I had him as a honorable (laughs) as one of my T-bone three uh, prospects that could impact the Cardinals in the near future. Uh, I I think he's gonna have a big role for the Cardinals. Probably not as a starter this year. I think he'll come out of the bullpen, but he really found something when he added that cutter to his arsenal down the Arizona Fall League. So those are probably the guys that I'm keeping an eye on. Also keep an eye on jake walsh he's listed as a prospect here from the end of the year rankings jake walsh was a guy that they were high on last year coming out of spring training got hurt dealt with some injuries he is on the 40-man roster keep an eye on jake walsh too are you a southpaw no i'm a righty
4: okay i just always tune in when people you know hone in on southpaws because i'm a southpaw those first, oh, really? two, yeah, first two you, you mentioned are lefties. So. I'm not
3: a Southpaw, but I love Rocky. So it's kind of a Southpaw. There you go. Uh, two guys for me. One is Moises Gomez, who is labeled as a prospect. And of course, the guy mashed this year in the minors. So he's getting an opportunity. He's on the 40 man roster. Correct. T-bone yep. uh, for this upcoming season. The other guy. And you're not going to see him for a few years. But Joshua Baez. There were a lot of people the, the short time because I know he was injured last year, there were a lot of people talking about Joshua Baez's power. You got an outfielder who's nineteen years old, also a tank, six foot four, two hundred and twenty pounds. Uh, he'll be one to he'll be one to watch for me, who I think is going to start in A ball this year for the Cardinals. Uh, from the six one eight guys, the Blues have three guys: the coach, the GM, Bennington, that will always get passes from criticism. But if they share in the success, they should share in the criticism. Do you agree?
4: I 100% agree, and I'm willing to criticize Bennington if I felt like any of the mistakes last night were on him. Yeah, and Craig. Burby thought the exact same way because if he didn't, he would have pulled Bennington and you would have seen Grace in there. Yeah, because he's not afraid to do that.
3: He did that against Chicago.
4: exactly. So if he gets the blame, we're 100% willing to give it to him. Those first two goals were on the defense or, you know, on the, yeah.
3: On the forwards and honestly, the five-man unit. yeah, yeah,
4: on guys just not paying attention. Mistakes early on.
3: Here's the thing. You can criticize Bennington all you want, but you put any other goaltender in the National Hockey League in front of what this defense has done this season, they're going to be the same goaltender as Jordan Bennington because guys aren't making those saves. Now, for Craig Berube, you can criticize him all you want, but listen to Craig Berube's pregame conversations, postgame conversations, and practice conversation he is telling you everything that the blues should be doing the blues aren't putting it to method on the ice and then for the general manager for Doug Armstrong yeah you can talk about the decisions that he's made but those decisions have already been made and he's found ways to to divert away from those by trading for Pavel Buchnevich and making moves like this this offseason, this trade deadline, is going to be two very impactful situations for Doug Armstrong to criticize or to compliment him. Speaking of that trade deadline, David Panyota is tied in around the National Hockey League. He's an analyst on SiriusXM, NHL Radio, and NHL Network. We're going to talk trade deadline with him next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
6: Count that,
3: that big. Well, after a Blues loss last night to the Buffalo Sabres, a 3-4 and four homestand, everybody's talking about trade deadline now for the Blues, and there's still like 11 games left before we get to that point. Before St. Louis, it's still trying to pick up some points, but now names are in the rumor mill, and to talk about that, we welcome in one of my favorites. He's the editor-in-chief for the fourth period. He's a host and analyst on SiriusXM, NHL Radio. You can also see him on NHL Network. Follow him on Twitter, at the Fourth Period. He is David Panyota. David, it's great to catch up with you, buddy. How are you today?
7: I'm great. I'm great. I'm in. I'm in Toronto. There's about to be a big snowstorm, so um, I could be better, but I'm doing all right.
3: Well, I think the snowstorm that you're going to get in Toronto is very different than the snowstorm we got here in St. Louis. They said five to seven inches, and I think it's probably about an inch of rainwater.
7: Oh, nice. I would take that. No, we're. I think we're getting the actual inches of snow. Like we're. We're getting, we're getting piled on later today. That's always
3: a good thing. Well, 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 David, (laughs) since you're in Toronto, let's start here because Jeremy Rutherford of the athletic put a piece out last week, talking about maybe Toronto being a team that's investigating a Ryan O'Reilly trade. And I know we're still premature with this, but it does seem like the blues are heading towards seller mode. Is Toronto going to be a team that's going to be connected to the blues over the next couple of weeks?
7: I think they are, and I, and, and I don't think it's strictly Ryan O'Reilly. I, I think Arv, uh, Ivan Barbashev, excuse me, um, is a guy that's on their radar as well, um, as well on the blue line. Like I, I think Toronto is looking at a variety of different options to see where they can add to their roster, and it, it's it makes things a little bit easier to have um, players like a Barbashev or Mikola that, that can come in and. The cost is is considerably lower than somebody like Ryan O'Reilly, so it's a potential for them to address two needs on on a roster versus you know bringing in a guy to really stabilize and, and solidify their top six, which is already pretty solid as it stands uh, in Toronto. But you know to look at that, would Ryan O'Reilly fit on the wing instead of center because of Austin Matthews and Tavares up front? Um, I couldn't imagine they'd want to bring him in for a third a, a three C type role. You'd want to give him more. Uh, more ice time, but at the same time, he gives you options. But I think in addition to him, as I mentioned, Barbashev um, is somebody that would certainly, not only for Toronto, but other teams as well, uh, be be looking at as a viable option to potentially add to their roster ahead of the deadline.
4: David, when you look at Vladimir Tarasenko, what would you say his trade value is? Obviously an unrestricted free agent for the Blues, but for other teams out there, how would you say that they are assessing Tarasenko and what kind of value he can add to their team?
7: Yeah, well, certainly with, with teams looking to add some extra fire and, and punch to their lineup, you know, everybody knows that he can bring that um, on, on, a, on a pretty consistent basis, especially down the stretch. When you've got the playoffs in mind and, and you're in there, you're a little extra motivated for a variety of reasons, certainly. Um, but to have that happen down the stretch and into the postseason, um, to have that additional potency in your lineup, whether it's a first-line role or a second-line uh, position, add to your power play and so on, yeah, there are definitely going to be teams and and there are teams that are looking at him as, as a potential to add, uh, to to bring in more goal scoring ability to, to a roster. So, you know, whether it's a two or three prong asset type of package for him, I think there's an understanding. And and it sounds like that word is spreading across the league that, you know, he's going to be a player that is more likely than not going to test free agency, um, this July as, as a UFA. And, You know, with that in mind, the understanding is that okay, we're likely prototypical type of rental. So you're looking at two type of assets: a first round pick and a prospect. Is it a higher end prospect, a lower pick? Um, Those are things that are going to be evaluated over these next five and a half weeks going into the deadline. But there is a strong sense that both you know O'Reilly and Tarasenko would lead the way in terms of players that could be shipped out and and wearing new sweaters come uh, March third.
3: We're talking with David Panyota, editor-in-chief for the fourth period and Sirius XM NHL radio host and analyst. David, Ryan O'Reilly seems like the player that is going to be at the top of everyone's list. I mean, if you look at the trade candidates, unless somebody else pops up, it starts with Bo Horvat. I know Timo Meyer has kind of popped into a lot of people's radars uh, from the San Jose Sharks, but he's a different category because he's an RFA. You've got Taves and Kane, but then it gets to Ryan O'Reilly and to Vladimir Tarasenko. And the difference between the two is the no-trade clause compared to the trade clause that Ryan O'Reilly does not possess. Does that yeah. make things easier for Doug Armstrong to maybe pull the trigger on a Ryan O'Reilly deal before a Vladdy deal because there's no decision in it?
7: Right, that's a great point, point. And we know for the last couple of summers, uh, while the, uh, the Blues held talks with a few teams with respect to Vladdy, I mean, it was Rangers, Islanders, Devils primarily. Um, and and for the last couple of years, and would he expand on that going into this deadline, um, knowing that there's the potential for him to move and chase the Stanley Cup again with another team? Uh, I mean, I'm, we're gonna have to wait and see if he is open to that because uh, that, that hasn't come out yet. and I'm not getting any indication just yet that he is looking to throw their other option, but there are teams that are looking for wingers as opposed to centermen. You look at Dallas. You look at Carolina, actually the are looking at both. Um, <laughs> You know, those are teams, the Rangers as well, uh, that that are looking for wingers to, to come in from a center position. You mentioned O'Reilly without any trade protection. Yeah, it is a little bit easier to facilitate a move for for Doug Armstrong because he's not restricted. He doesn't have to go to the player and say, "Hey, would you look at a move here? Would you look at a move there?" It's it's free reign, and there are teams that like the versatility um, of. What O'Reilly brings to the table, as well as the fact that you know you can bolster yourself up the middle. You're looking at teams, as I mentioned, Carolina. Looking at both um, the Carol- uh, excuse me, the Colorado Avalanche out there looking for a two C divisional arrival. So price might be a little higher for the Abs, um, but but that type of environment uh, for teams looking to bolster themselves at that position. Um, but there are going to be teams that are looking at that, saying, okay, how can we strengthen ourselves up the middle, and does this make sense to bring in this particular player? Uh, moving forward, I think there's going to be more interest in Riley as we get closer to the O'Reilly. me, as we get closer to the deadline.
4: David, just reading the rumors, you're hearing the Edmonton Oilers are interested in Blues defenseman Nico Mikola. What other teams out there could be in the market for a guy like Mikola adding you know that big presence on their blue line?
7: Yeah, and, and not a huge price tag either from a cap perspective. Um, so when you look at the marketplace, that makes it you know, that much more attractive for a lot of teams. You mentioned the Oilers. I looked at uh, Toronto that I mentioned earlier, another team looking to stabilize their back end. Uh, some of the other clubs that are out there looking at um, their, their blue line to really stabilize, you know, some things. I mean, Tampa's always there. Tampa's another team that's looking at some of the options to see, well, okay, how do we further improve and further deepen our roster? I, they're not going to be heavy hitters. They don't have, you know, first or second round picks available to them this year. I think they have a first-round pick next year, either. So you're looking at those complementary pieces that can really come in and um, provide quality depth uh, to to a contending team. So I would even throw Tampa in that mix, and you know some of the other teams that have the potential to either look at their third pair, uh, maybe it bumps somebody down so you've got you know seven defensemen that can come in at any point. You know I know Minnesota was looking, although they have got a situation to figure out with Matt Dumba. It's it's again same division. You have to look at things there. L.A. um, as well looking to look at their blue line uh, to make some ads in that regard. Vegas is another one. They've gotten a lot of injuries to their back end that have been on off. And and the injury to Alec Martinez, while not public, is a considerable one. And he may be out for, you know, he may re-aggravate that later on. If you want to manage minutes as well, that could be a team that zeroes in on a guy like Nikola as well.
3: A couple more minutes with David Panyota of SiriusXM XM NHL Radio. David, put yourself in Doug Armstrong's shoes for me. Uh, going to this March 3rd trade deadline with the state of this Blues team this season where you have the talent of Thomas and Kairou and Buchnevich. you have long-term contracts for a couple of defensemen. What's more appealing if you're him? Is it draft picks or is it prospects that you feel like could – Uh, a tribute to this team next season?
7: I I think it really is going to, like, I I think this team is going to look at their core and you mentioned those guys, Um, you had Bennington to the mix. I, I think you look at this team overall and you go, okay, yeah, things haven't worked out great this year. Yes. Injuries have played a factor to a certain extent throughout the course of the season. Can they augment this roster a little bit and add to it in the summer? And, get back into contender status next season i think that's part of the equation now whether that means moving some assets now to get young players that could potentially slot in next season or draft picks i think you're also looking at it going okay well there may be opportunities in the summer to not only look at free agents but also to look at the trade market and can we then utilize these additional assets around the draft for example to flip and bring in players that we can add to this roster that can complement this team now and keep us within that contender status. I think there are a few different areas to look at, whether it's you know first-round pick in either an O'Reilly or a Tarasenko deal as part of the package, or top-tier prospects. You never know when someone is just on the cusp and they just need an extra summer to, to, to really get going. Um, and I look at the Dallas Stars as a prime example, not expecting a guy like Wyatt Johnson to come in and claim an, uh, a roster spot right out of the gate out of camp. Well, he did that, and he's continued to earn his spots and his minutes this season, giving them even more depth. So you look at that, you never really know, but I think it's twofold. I think it's you know looking at the best overall package, what the best return is going to be, and then can you then potentially use those assets in the summer to keep this team in contender status going next season, and just call this year a bit of an anomaly within this window because of the core that's in place for this club.
3: Do you think they can do that, David? I think
7: it's yeah, absolutely, because you're going to get if, if if O'Reilly is moved and if Tarasenko's moved, you're going to get quality packages for these guys. You're going to get a really good return for these types of players. And you're going to get quality in terms of whether it's a Barbashev, uh, an Achari, uh, a Mikola, so, uh, even Thomas Grice. The teams are looking at um, a, a backup or a third-type goalie going into the playoffs to add some security. You're going to get some good returns for some of these players and deepen your overall prospect or draft pick pool. If you do that, then either you st- – you st- You're looking pretty sweet going into the draft by having some additional assets, or again, you you try to combo some of these pieces to make some bolder moves in the summer to speed up this little process of trying to get back into that contender window with this core you got. I think it's definitely uh, within the realm of possibility, and it certainly starts with what the packages are going to be for O'Reilly and Tarasenko if they do end up getting moved, because those are two players that are at the top of you know the trade watch lists across the board within top ten certainly. Uh, because these are premier players, there's no question.
4: David, let's talk short-term, and if you zoom out, you mentioned the Dallas Stars and look at the rest of the division, the Central. What do you predict in terms of these teams and big splash moves they could make at the deadline with the Stars, the Jets, the Avs, the Wild, or the Preds? Because that does have a very strong bearing on what the Blues should, should not do and how it's going to progress into the playoffs.
7: Yeah, absolutely. And And I think with some teams looking at how Colorado is playing, defending champs, Go, okay, they're getting healthy, they're playing a little bit better, they're, they're back into uh, third spot in, in the division. Um, but you still look at this team and you go, okay, they didn't rectify uh, and replace Nas and so they didn't rectify that loss. You still have a hole at the two-seat. If they don't make that addition going ahead of the deadline or make some other type of impact move ahead of the deadline, is this an opportunity to pounce? Is the window a little bit more open now because Colorado has a couple additional holes? that they haven't been able to fill, does that give us an opportunity to pounce? Perhaps it's a Winnipeg or Dallas making a bigger impact move, Lock in yourself as at first seed in the division, and then give yourself a, a what would presumably, at least on paper, be an easier pathway potentially to a conference final or a cup final. Uh, so, yeah, without question, these teams are looking to see what everybody else is doing to see how can we – is there an opportunity to pounce now? And if that's the case, maybe – we need to go after an O'Reilly, for example, and not only because he benefits our club, but to also keep him out of Colorado, keep him out of another environment, uh, for example. So all of those things certainly are going to be considered. I think the window—it sounds like I spoke to Jim Neal, the GM of the Dallas Stars, a few weeks ago, and you know he said the exact—he's looking to see what other teams are doing too, because they want to look and see how that might potentially affect their run for their roster moving
1: forward.
3: David Panyota, you're one of my favorites, buddy. Thank you so much for taking some time and hopping on with us today. Good luck in the snowpocalypse out in Toronto and uh <laughs> we'll we'll talk to you on the other side of it.
7: You got it, yeah. Look outside, it looks like it's starting. So <laughs> you'd be
3: <laughs> there you go, David Pagnotta. Always appreciate his time hopping on with us there. We'll talk more about that a little bit later on. Chris is going to join us at 1230. But coming up next, Cardinals seem to be connected to the left-handed relief market. Is that the missing piece? We'll discuss next on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101
3: ESPN. The Junk coming up in about 20 minutes or so. Chris Kerber, Blues broadcaster, is going to join us before he hops on the plane to Arizona with the Blues. They had a little bit of an optional skate earlier today. Uh, Craig Berube talking Colton Pareko once again. We'll talk Colton Pareco uh, coming up in the 1 o'clock hour. But I want to shift back to Cardinals because, T-Bone, you messaged me last night saying that it seems the Cardinals are still interested in the left-handed relief market. And we've talked a lot about how Could the Cardinals make another move this offseason? Is there somebody out there worth signing? And the reports of the Cardinals being interested in the left-handed options... Makes sense, because this season you've got Zach Thompson, Hennessy Cabrera, Packy Naughton, Jojo Romero. Those are the guys that are on your 40-man roster. One player was injured a majority of last season. Another player had his ups and downs. And then Zach Thompson and Jojo Romero, you're not sure whose role or what role they're going to have for this season. So let's start here, Alexa. The names, Andrew Chafin, Zach Britton, Matt Moore. Those are the biggest names still on the market as left-handed relievers are those the missing pieces for this Cardinals team this offseason? Yes. That's how I feel. You the know, question mark Oh man, that's a lot of Sure. Different.
5: Sure. I know it didn't come off in the text, but this is what the true reaction was when I sent you that article it was. The Cardinals are getting a bullpen arm. The Cardinals are getting a bullpen arm. It was exciting. Like
3: the British are coming. The yeah, British
5: are coming. Come I on! That I like your exciting. enthusiasm, yeah,
4: Tanner. We're a I'm
3: feeling it. Tanner hits this spell of like late January to early February where he's like, "God, baseball season needs to start."
4: Yeah. start To go
5: stir crazy. Yeah, this was exciting. I think they're missing a bullpen arm. Where they're connected. They're probably
4: not really in, but they're connected at least. I would like Andrew Chafin. I would I, like. I, love I mean, Chafin. great lefty. You know, failed starter. Remember those T-shirts when he. <laughs> I he was a starter, oh,
5: yeah, I would totally buy one work.
4: of those. Yeah, and I think that uh, overall he's got the personality to, to come in here and, and he's got the stuff, too, um, to to really actually make a difference and, you know, to at least make some competition there for those guys and maybe actually affect this team.
3: See, that's where I'm at with this, too. You can look at the left-handed market and say, maybe they are connected and maybe you get an Andrew Chafin or, you know what, BK and I brought up Matt Moore in the past. You put that body in there how much of a difference does that really make? Because everyone we've talked to has said the missing ingredient for this Cardinals team is an ace. You're not going to figure that out. You're not going to make a move for that before the season starts. That's going to be a mid-season move if you even do that. I, You've done the offense. You've gotten Wilson Contreras. You've relied heavily on some of these younger players. This is just like... This is like putting sprinkles on an ice cream sundae. Yeah, if they're there, fine. But if not, you've got other options on that Sunday to enjoy.
5: See, I think they're missing a scoop of ice cream because I, I think they need another bowl. Is that what Andrew Chaffin ar- is to you? Yeah, he's, an, he's a nice scoop of ice cream. You, know, you, you get the one scoop, but you really want two. Mom doesn't let you have it. Chafin's that second scoop.
4: I think this Sunday is all about what you oh, want rather than what right you already.
5: have. Oh, see, I think they need another bullpen Yeah, I think you've already
3: had a main entree, an appetizer, and a salad. And you say you want two scoops, but you really only need one. I think
5: there are two things the Cardinals are potentially lacking going into this season. And one of them I think they have internally. The second one I'm not 100% sure on. They might. The first one is the ace that you just mentioned. I think they have that in Jack Flaherty. If Jack Flaherty stays healthy. Again, it's an if, but it's something that they may have to address at the trade deadline. The other one for me is another relief arm, specifically a left-handed one that's got swing and miss stuff. They might have that in Zach Thompson but I don't think they're I think they're missing that seventh inning slash swing and miss left-handed guy and I don't know if you want to turn that over to Zach Thompson right off the bat going into just his second season I I think they want him to be more of kind of a swing man I think he's gonna have a really good year for the Cardinals but I don't know if they view him as being that seventh inning guy I, I think they're still missing someone in that seventh inning role Preferably from the left side. If there was someone on the right side that they had interest in that they bring in, I would understand it. But that's Do why any of these I think guys Chafin, match that, though? Oh, I think Chafin matches that 100%. A- Andrew Chafin would be a difference maker for the St. Louis Cardinals and in this bullpen. He becomes that 7th inning slash 8th inning guy that can kind of rotate between him and Gallegos for their matchups that they need. And those names that you mentioned, they all kind of had spurt to that. Cabrera, don't know if he's going to be that guy. Paki Naughton, Paki Naughton would be awesome if they didn't have the three batter minimum, because his numbers against lefties were great last year. Jojo Romero, you only saw it for a small sample size. He goes up and down. I think they need someone that's more of a sure thing that they can bring into this bullpen. The problem is, though, is they're kind of dealing with a bit of a logjam, and that's why I don't truly buy the rumors that they are Fully in these markets, I think they're kind of kicking the tires, but I don't think it's like okay, we have to go get somebody. They're viewing it more as a one. I do think they need to go get another left-handed arm, and I think Chafin's the guy.
4: Yeah, I would like Chafin, and the price tag is uh, pretty nice too. Two-year, thirteen million dollars deals. What he signed with the Tigers? Yeah, before he opted out.
3: It's the way to go. I mean, that's not bad, especially his numbers. I mean, look at the teams he played with last season. Oakland, where he did twenty-nine in the third inning, and. Had a really good numbers. And then Detroit, also a middling team, and he had really good numbers. His caper
4: nine is sexy.
3: Yeah. And that, Ten and mu- a half? And that like mustache that. is sexy. Uh, I'll Have take you that. seen that handlebar mustache? <laughs> Get me that handlebar mustache in St. Louis right now. All right, we've all come to an agreement. We all deserve that extra scoop of ice cream. And Andrew Chafin should be a Cardinal. <laughs>
4: Give me the sprinkles, too. Give We're me the sprinkles.
3: And why not put the cherry on top? <laughs> Alexa Dad of Bally Sports with Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario. Chris Kerber joins us next here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobb's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Alongside Alexa Dad of Valley Sports Midwest and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario as we head back out to the Brown and and celebrity line and welcome in Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, who is going to be headed on the plane shortly out to Arizona as the Blues take on the Coyotes tomorrow night. Eight o'clock puck drop. Our first community credit union pregame starts at seven o'clock here on 101 on ESPN. Kerbs, how are you, sir?
8: I'm doing great. It's a much nicer drive to the airport today than I was anticipating, so I'm happy.
3: There you go. That's what we like to hear. I'm sure a lot of Blues fans aren't as happy as the way that last game went last night for St. Louis curbs. I want to, I want to bring up a comment that Braden Shen said last night, post game, this was his quote. It's starting on time. You can't do that two games in a row and expect to come back from four, nothing and three, nothing. Obviously you make pushes, but the reality is it's hard to come back from three, nothing or four, nothing in this league. Why do you feel that is such an issue for this blues team this season?
8: Just don't know that there is enough urgency desperation or commitment to the little details top to bottom through the lineup. I think you see and you're hearing all the right stuff and you've heard it all season long, whether it be from coaches or players after games I and mean, their, the breakdowns are honest. I think they're fair, you know, but then the same thing seemed to happen and, and he's absolutely right. Now I mean, go back the very first shift of the game looked like it was going to go pretty well with, with what Torovchenko and Pitlick and those guys were doing. But then one mistake, and it ends up in your net. And there's a lot of early mistakes that have just wound up in the back of the Blues net in these last couple of games, and it's it's cost them dearly and, frankly, has uh, really put them on the brink of, uh, you know, having too big of a hole to climb here. So, you know, for me, I, I think the guys have to look around the room at themselves and, and figure it out. And that's the young guys, the old guys, everybody in there. I mean, it... Even with some of the injuries, that there have been some points on the table that they've left there here in these last uh, over this last homestand.
4: Kerber, how concerned should the fan base be? Because you got back-to-back losses to two teams who are out of the postseason picture to end that homestand. Obviously, a lot of frustration. Fans at Enterprise didn't get into the game for the first time until six minutes into the second period when Ivan Barbashev was able to score. So the level of frustration from the fans, uh, how um, basically warranted is it at this point? You know what? This
8: is a team... This is a team that, as a whole, has clearly underperformed expectations. And sometimes sometimes you have to think, you know, you have, what are expectations and who makes those expectations? What, what are realistic expectations? But,
4: you know, I, I think
8: realistic expectations for this team is, is a playoff team. Now, does that mean, Wildcard, they could still be there, you know, in the end? Uh, and, and it's been, a, you know, once again, there's it's stuff at the top of this division. So, but just the fact that, Alexa, to me, you haven't seen the consistency night in and night out, um, you know, is, is what's preventing this team from, I think, meeting those expectations. So if there's angst from the fans, I, 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 I would feel that that's warranted um, and, and justified. You know, I think that at the beginning of the year, they they turned a lot over to some younger guys. They kind of went back, gave some of the veterans more ice time. That seemed to settle things down, but they just haven't had that consistency. And look, I know from a game planning standpoint, uh, they're they're given the game plan. I agree with what Craig Berube says. They're prepared come the start of the game. It's just getting the execution there, uh, shift in, shift out, and it just hasn't happened. So, yeah, I think I think some angst from some of the fans is. Uh, quite fair and warranted at this point as you're approaching 50 games
3: talking with Chris Kerber voice of the blues on BK and Ferrario he's with us on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line curbs Craig uh, Craig Ruby had some comments about Colton Pareco's play last night and earlier today talking about him playing with more confidence saying that he's just not he's a little too tentative out there have you seen that from Colton Pareco this season and does that surprise you
8: I think I've seen that from Colton Pareko, and I've seen that from a lot of guys on the team. It's it's interesting that, you know, from one night to the next, we can probably be asking the coach about certain players and, and get somewhat similar breakdowns. But specifically to Colton, yeah, he, he's been one where there's been some really good, solid play, and then and then some games where, yeah, he, he has looked tentative. So the, the thing for Colton is when you watch his play, when he gets that puck on his stick and just starts to fly and starts to skate. and So, I mean, it's still so hard for guys to catch him. At one point he did that in Edmonton and even Connor McDavid was trying to chase him down. So there's, yeah, it's an interesting question. I haven't talked to Colton about this too much, but, and, and maybe this is, maybe this is something, and now I'm now I'm really just coming off the top of my head here. So this isn't a well-formulated thought. All right. But, I've always believed in roles in sports. When players know their roles, exactly what their roles are, I think that plays into the the, uh, the, the nature of sports that helps teams be successful. Seventh-inning guy knows he's the seventh-inning guy. Closer knows he's the closer, that that type of thing. Utility guy coming off the bench, that, that type of stuff in baseball. In, in hockey, it's similar, too. And, you know, honestly – over the last couple of years, you know, the signing of Torrey Krug and others, and yeah, I don't know if we've seen Colton's game really grow in, the, in a little bit. And so, the, to me, I think it's just, I agree with Craig Berube today talking about his confidence. It, I think they've got to find somewhere that confidence and get that back and then get some consistency in there from that. Um, I, I still believe you've got a hell of a defenseman there. You've got a defenseman that, to me, has all the tools, uh, to be one of the best in the league and uh, and getting him back on track confidence-wise is, is important. And frankly, I kind of, I don't know, I think that that's the way a lot of these guys probably are feeling right now. Look, you, you, you've got a lot of guys that feel the pressure of this moment. And not just the pressure of the moment, but they know the pressure of the next month. Otherwise, you could see some real changes to this roster. And and they're human, man. They, they feel it. Without a doubt, they feel it.
4: Curbs, I want to ask you about the injuries that this team has sustained because you've got Vlady who came back after suffering that broken hand, missing 10 games, and Ryan O'Reilly, your captain, and Tori Krug. And you saw Krug returning from injury and making a huge impact last night. Two assists, three attempts, 21 minutes of ice time. How much do you think the absence of these key players impacted this team and maybe is, is a way to focus you know some of this uh, negativity in terms of how it will reverse course now that we have these guys back healthy
8: well there's no doubt that there was a pretty big impact and i think especially because of the fact that they were out for the time period that they were out from so losing three guys for 10 13 or more games and ryan o'reilly hasn't even really started skating yet you know and i don't think he will until probably sometime next week so uh, I, to me the, the injuries have been key but that said the players that have come in have filled in well uh, the, the, there have been aspects of the game that have been really good the level of play has been good enough to keep you in the mix it's just when you've had the chance to take advantage of the last couple of teams and you didn't do it as well as you needed to those are the points that really sting you. It doesn't sting you so much to split the series with Calgary But that game with Chicago really stinks. Falling into such a big hole yesterday stinks. Look, Buffalo's a growing team. They're a better team. They've handled the Blues really well. They put 10 on them this year. Well, no 11, counting the empty netter yesterday. So, But I still think the Blues were in there enough. Unfortunately, because of the way Nashville, Dallas, Colorado, some of these other teams have started to play and get their stride, you've lost ground. While this homestand, you played one game under 500, and that's the reality you're staring at. So, look, it's going to, without a doubt, help to get these guys back. Krug, I thought it was very evident having him back in that lineup. But Tarasenko was really impactful. Nine shot attempts at the net, had several opportunities to tie the game or put the puck in, you know. And so, there's some real positives. But then again, this is all you've got right now. You don't have Pavel Butchnevich for this next road trip. He's not eligible to come off of IR until February 1st, and that's when you're in that break. You might see Robert Bortuzzo come back on this road trip, but other guys are going to get some opportunities here. So the Logan Browns, the Jake Neighbors, and these guys, getting those opportunities now becomes the the, the real shot for them to stick in the NHL and make a difference hope they take advantage
3: of it. Well, we'll see tomorrow night against the Arizona Coyotes. Again, 8 o'clock puck drop. Chris Kerber, Joe Vitale on the call. Joey and I will have your first community credit union pregame starting at 7. Kerbs, have a safe flight, and we'll talk to you from Arizona tomorrow night. All right, Alex. Thank you very much. There you go. Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber uh, with us here on BK and Ferrario coming up in 15 minutes. We will get more into Colton Pareco because Alexa, that has been uh, the number one topic I have heard since last night's loss for St. Louis. So we'll get into him and kind of talk a little bit more about what uh, Craig Berube had to say about Colton Pareco. But coming up next, we dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best Trust wings in
6: Missouri. Dine in, carry out seven days a week.
3: Exadata Valley Sportsman West and Tanner Hendrickson. i Alex Ferrari. We got David Eckstein coming up at 1.30. More likely to happen coming up in 15 minutes. And next segment, we're going to get into uh, Colton Pareko and what seems to be a problem for this Blues team. But now we enter the junk drawer. And this is a fitting junk drawer segment today because we've all struggled with words so far. Uh, epitome for Tanner Hendrickson. And what <laughs> what did I? it
5: pronounce? Epitome. Uh, epitome. A, epitome
3: what was right. the word that I butchered earlier? Oh, uh, eligibility, which was a very strange word that I butchered. But those are different than butchering names. And a certain reporter in Washington, D.C. Uh, was on the news a couple of nights ago talking about Bruce Boudreau being fired for Rick Tockett of the Vancouver Canucks.
4: Former Washington Capitals coach Bruce Boudreau has been fired by the Vancouver can- Canucks. The team announced the change Sunday, less than a week after president of hockey operations Jim Rutherford said major surgery was needed to fix the Canucks. Rick Tukid was hired as Boudreau's replacement.
3: I can hear the thought process in her head, Alexa. And, I, and this she's is just like, oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> she saw Boudreau pop up and she's like, Uh Oh, she put she powered through. But then the Canucks, she she paused and it was Canucks. And then Rick Taka came up and it was, oh, my (laughs) gosh, I bring this up because you've spent your career in television. You understand the difficulty of this, of if you don't know the names, you're going to have to power through it and hope to God nobody found out that you just butchered that name.
4: So I contacted my girlfriend who works for the rival network in DC for Channel 4. And I said, what the heck happened? And she goes, oh, they don't even really have a sports department. So So that's like a news reporter? It was a news reporter essentially just being given a sheet of paper and said, like, figure it out, which is literally the worst fear that can happen when you're on air. You have to go over names. You have to. It's the the number one thing. You don't have to know the stats. You don't have to. That that all comes secondary to the names because that is where your credibility lies. And the crazy thing is, too, in the offseason, sometimes players change the pronunciation of their name. yeah, Semyon Varlamov. Semyon Varlamov, like, how are we saying it this time around? It was
3: uh, what's his face, Ilya Breeze Brizgalov, It was Brizgalov, then Brizgalov, then Brizgelov and I'm like, wait, where are we going
4: with this? Where right are now? we putting the emphasis? The wrong syllable. <laughs> you know. And so you go through these these cycles. But yeah, it really to me that's the thing that you have to get right yeah. first and foremost. And I'm not perfect at it for sure. When I was at NHL Network, I'll. I'll Give you guys a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. I'm Ukrainian, so I could say a lot of the Russian names really well. Mm -hmm. It's just been in my blood. I I can speak a tiny little bit of church Ukrainian growing up. But the name that tripped me up the most, and you guys are going to find this wild, was Jordan Really? Because I couldn't, for some reason, uh, one night, he had just had an awesome game. It was a shutout. We were talking all about him. And it was just, once I got it wrong the first time, there was so much pressure on me to get it right. The producer was like, just walk away, take a deep breath, close your eyes, and figure it out. And so when I got hired here... My producer came up to me and was like, wow, what a funny turn of events. Like just the, the sports gods are basically just laughing in your face. Now you have to go say Jordan Bennington literally every night of your life. And I was like, well, now I can do it. No, so. I crushed it. Yeah. But yeah. It's so funny how you just get those little things in your mind and it, it sticks with you.
3: So I, I had that happen to me when I was doing pre and post for the Cardinals on KMLX. You know, I was 26 years old, so I was fresh into radio. I was still in college when I was doing this. And you understand, the Cardinals radio network is over 100 stations. Like, everyone is listening. So if you mess up, you will find out. Oh, yeah. I will never forget it. I got an email after probably my third broadcast doing pre and post. And this, this individual laid into me. I mean, it was it had to have been uh, 800 words of, you pronounce this incorrectly. It's not Cardinals. There's an I in there. She even copy and pasted the pronunciation in a dictionary wow. that was Cardinals. Oh, no, and no, I'm no. like, you got to be blank and kidding me. <laughs> this is where we've come with this. So for the next pre and post game, I did every time. Cardinals Radio Network. Did you do it? Oh,
5: Bill, I, I did it. I, and I, it I'm so assuming sad. you didn't do it like I don't want to say sarcastic. Oh though. no, I did it on like, purpose. Uh-huh, oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I would be doing Shove it in her face. Yeah. I
3: emphasized the Cardinals Radio yeah, that's Network. Exactly the Cardinals what I would do. Radio Network. My program director came up to me and he goes, "What are you doing?" And I go, "I'm sorry." <laughs> it got to me. He goes, "Yeah, don't do that anymore." I'm like, "Ah, oh, okay, okay." But then it was stuck in my head where it was Cardinals, and I'm like, "Stop it! Stop it! Stop it!" So. <laughs> That, man, once you get it into your head, I feel so bad for that. Like, it's Twitter and it's this day and age. So when you mess up, everyone's going to be talking about Everyone it. Everyone knows. I listened to it and I felt so bad. But then I'm looking at it, and now that you know the backstory, that's not all. I mean, it's on her because she probably should have done a little bit more research. But it's also on the station putting a news reporter in oh, that spot Oh, for, sure. for that story.
4: That is really tough. Just walk in and be like, "All right, here you go." And I just good looked luck. at. It Get and at and
5: it. I just looked at Tackett thing because for some reason I thought it was C K E T. No, it it's C C H E T.
3: Touche. Touche. Probably we said something like that. Rocked shit.
4: Boudreaux was jet. the surprise. What I would
3: think. Boudreaux was the the surprising one for me because that one's kind of B O U D
4: R E A U. It's pretty easy. easy. I guess it's the Bruce. Oh man, I'm yeah. going
5: to show off my English grammar skills here. But isn't O U typically like ow? O? Oh. Oh, bolder.
4: Oh, we, the best is when I worked somewhere and somebody got in really big trouble, really big trouble, like letters to the editor, to the station for the Roy Wa. Oh
3: you yeah. Can't oh. No, that. you can't butcher that. That's like you in St. Louis do that. And I've done this before as a younger broadcaster, the Souter Sutter. If you butcher that, because Bruce Souter with the Cardinals Brian Sutter with the Blues. I have messed those up before. And you do that, game over. Game That's like over. doing Roy versus Wah. Patrick Roy. I was like, oh, no,
4: no, you can't.
3: I could can never
4: come back from no. that either. Or
3: also Marty Brodeur. Martin Brodeur. Martin. I've heard people go, Martin Brodeur.
4: No. Little old Martin.
3: It it works if it was like Martin Brodeur who nobody knows about. Little Martin and Nat. (laughs) Martin Brodeur. Can't really butcher that one. So our... uh our thoughts are with you, individual reporter out in D.C. for the Four Canucks things. and Bruce Beaudreau and uh, Rick Touche. Alexa Dat, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up at 15 minutes, it's more likely to happen. You send us scenarios, we will tell you which one is more likely to happen on our air comfort service text line 314 399 9646. But last night, some strong words about Colton Pareco from Craig Barubi. Do the Blues have a Pareco problem? We'll get to that next here on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Tuck in, tuck drags, centers, and a backhand shot, Tage Thompson scores. Wow. Minute 10 into the second period, and it's a 4-0 Buffalo lead. As again, they've scored early. Tough,
3: tough night for the Blues as they fell to the Buffalo Sabres last night, 5-3. Tough night for Colton Pareko, who has been a lightning rod this season for St. Louis. And alongside Alexa Dada, Bally Sportsman Weston Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. It seems the Blues have a Colton Pareco problem, or at least that is the opinion from a lot of blues fans and last night it was understandable he finished the game a season low 16 minutes and 15 seconds of ice time he was a minus four which means he was on the ice for every single goal against and was not on the ice for a goal scored by St. Louis he was demoted to the third pairing last night in the third period playing with Tyler Tucker here's Craig Berube talking about his demotion for Colton Pareco.
6: did not have a good game yeah. Tentative, you know, it seems like it's a little bit tentative and uh, just not assertive enough, not assertive enough, assertive enough with the puck.
3: He went on to discuss if this has been an ongoing issue this season for Colton Pareko.
6: Well, it's not all the time, but I mean, he's definitely had not had the year that we expect him to have or he expects. So Alexa,
3: I wanted to get into this because... I see a ton of people talking about how Colton Pareko is awful and Colton Pareko is being paid too much money to be the Blues defenseman right now and this season he's got 15 points in 44 games he's a minus 17 sometimes people like plus minus sometimes people don't like plus minus I can understand the argument this season for Colton Pareko but what I don't understand is looking at him and saying he is the problem for this Blues team because as Chris Kerber mentioned to us this isn't one player one player doesn't change the outcome of this season for the Blues. Justin Falk is having a career low in terms of plus-minus rating. Tori Krug is having, I think he's a minus-20 before last night. He was a plus-two in that game. We've seen this from Nick Letty. We've seen this from Nico Mikula. Honestly, the only defenseman who's had a good season for St. Louis has been Callie Rosen. So Colton Pareco seems to be an issue this season. But Colton Pareco also has been a very good defenseman for the Blues in years past.
4: I would agree with that. And to give all of the blame to Colton Perico is very difficult for me. Yes. Has he struggled as of late? Sure. And Craig Berube has done everything exactly what you should as a head coach, which is let your player know, I know that you're struggling, and here's what I'm going to do about it. You're going to get demoted. I'm going to be honest about how I feel when I evaluate the way that you've been playing. I mean, the dude was minus three after the first period last night. That's bad. That's bad. But we have seen him play well. That shot is so incredibly powerful. So to just write him off and say, we're done, This, this is like, he is our problem, and then if we fix him, everything is fixed. I mean, come on, you're in dreamland if that's the case. (laughs) You have to really evaluate how the rest of the defense is playing, and nobody's playing particularly well. Everyone in front of Bennington has been a problem this year, and it's why when you look at Binner, it's not him that a lot of these goals are attributed to. It's the guys that are playing in front of him. So to pin it all on Colton Pareko, uh, I think that's just lazy, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Uh, The blame goes all around, but yeah, you can look at Pareko in certain games and say, like, this dude isn't playing up to snuff. We have higher expectations for you, and we're going to expect you to play much better than this on this defense.
5: Yeah, Prego doesn't deserve all the blame because the whole defense has been bad for the St. Louis Blues all year long. I, I think the reason Preco's that guy that gets a big chunk of the blame is because it, it's kind of we were talking about this in the office before the show. It kind of comes down to how Cardinals fans have higher expectations for some of the prospects that come through the system because the Cardinals hype them up when they get brought up to the major leagues or when they're down in the minor leagues, like Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, guys like that. Now Carlson, who's on the roster right now. Preco kind of got that hype from the front office from the St. Louis Blues. When Petro was gone and they gave the contract extension to Colton Preco, the eight-year contract extension uh, with an AAV of $6.5 million, it was, hey, he's the next alpha dog. And he just hasn't he hasn't been that. He, he has been good in the past for the St. Louis but he's not a number one defenseman and, and that's what the Blues, I, I don't want to say they're paying him to be the number one defenseman because they've got three defensemen making $6.5 million but the length of the deal tells them that he is the number one defenseman, giving him the eight year contract extension and yes, Preco does need to be better and yes the Blues do need to be planning to find a new number one defenseman because I don't think Preyko's going to get to that level, but he's not the only reason this team's been struggling, it is the whole defensive corpse. Colton Preco is a solid number two defenseman, he's not a legit number one shutdown guy like Petrangelo was I didn't think he was ever going to be that guy the Blues kind of gave him that eight-year contract extension thinking he would be but he does not deserve all of the blame that he has been given this season it's a whole unit problem
3: and I don't want to come off as I'm defending Colton Pareko here because Colton Pareco has had a bad season I mean if you look at plus minus this has been statistically his worst season point production he has not had it he has been the guy that's been relied upon and he's not lived up to it but again Listen to these names. So in terms of expected goals against, which is a fancy uh, analytic number, essentially when he's on the ice, the expected goals for the opponents that are going in net. That's the way you look at it. Colton Pareko is 11th worst in the National Hockey League, uh, sitting just under 50%. But listen to these names that are worse than him. Ivan Provorov from the Philadelphia Flyers. Does that name sound familiar? Because that's a player that Blues fans wanted to trade for mm-hmm. last season. Justin Falk has been worse than Colton Pareko in that category. Tony D'Angelo, who's with Philadelphia. We remember him from Carolina last year. Everyone was talking about what a great defenseman he was. Josh Morrissey from the Winnipeg Jets, a player that is a Norris Trophy candidate, ladies and gentlemen, is worse than Colton Pareko in expected goals against. Roman freaking Yossi (laughs) is on this list this season, along with Cam Fowler, Dmitry Kulikov, John Klingberg. Again, I'm not sitting here saying Colton Pareco is a better defenseman than anybody's giving him credit for because he's been great this season. He's been bad. But if you're going to look at Colton Pareko, and we got a ton of text on our Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9646. Uh, he's soft in front of his own net. A player that big should be tougher in front of his own net. This goes back to what Curbs told us a little bit ago. You play to your identity. And Colton Pareko is not a shutdown defenseman. Colton Pareko is not an offensive defenseman. What Colton Pareko is, and I think this is the struggle that Craig Barubi and his staff are trying to figure out, is how do we get him to play to his identity? And the identity we saw from Colton Pareko the year they won the Cup with Jay Bomeester was size and speed. Doug Armstrong has built a team defensively that is a transition team. You're not going to shove guys away from the front of the net. What you're doing is the puck is on your stick. You're skating it out of the zone. The problem for Colton Pareko, to me, is the same problem for Justin Falk, for Nick Letty, for Tori Krug, every defenseman on this Blues team. Nobody seems to know what they're doing on the ice in their own zone, which is why the slot is open like 7-Eleven this season. (laughs) Nobody knows what they're doing when the puck is on their stick, because it seems one player thinks, well, that player is going to do my job for me, when the other one expects that player to do their job, and the disconnect comes into play, hence pucks getting taken away. Does Pareko need to be heavier on the puck and put the puck deep in when he does? Absolutely. Does Colton Pareko need to be heavier on his stick so he doesn't get shoved off the puck? Absolutely. But to sit here and say that Colton Pareko has been the sole problem for this Blues team, and if they just trade him away, they'll be better... You're not watching hockey because Colton Pareco is not the end-all be-all for this team. Frankly, it's a defensive scheme issue, I feel like, for this squad.
4: Yeah, I agree, because the middle of the ice is so wide open. I mean, just you just surf in there. It's too easy, and that can't be reliant on one guy. If you put one guy in the middle of the ice, that's not going to fix all of your problems. So for Pareko, also for fans, I think, too, when you see Pareco, you're like, OK, big guy, physical play, Chris get Pronger, out there and be, right. yeah, be, go out there and be that guy. That's not who he is. So So you can't supplant an identity onto him that he's not. That's not fair. You're not going to get the the max out of him that you possibly can if you're putting him in somebody else's shoes. So you need to have him fulfill his own potential in order to be good with this team. And it's just not that like really hard, rough and tumble kind of a guy.
3: I, I think the bigger question that Blues fans should be asking themselves is, who can get the best out of Colton Pareco? Because Larry Robinson, was he, when he was with the team, got the best out of Colton Pareco. Jay Bomeister playing with Colton Pareko got the best out of Colton Pareco. Again, I know that this is frustrating this season, but if you look at his numbers, this is the worst season he's ever had. The The second closest to this season was the shortened year when he had the back problem. But other than that, he's always been a player that's been, and again, I know people hate plus minus when it goes for the positive and they love plus minus when it's the negative, but he's been above plus 15 every time or every season in his NHL career. He's normally a guy who produces 30 to 35 points at minimum in a season. So the bigger question, if I'm Doug Armstrong, this off season is, what do I need to do to get the best out of Colton Pareko? Is it some type of coach? Do I need to trade for a certain defender to play with him? Because he is the alpha dog. That's the lightning rod that Doug Armstrong put on him, saying he is our alpha when Alex Petrangelo left. How do you make him an alpha dog? And if you can't make him an alpha dog, which I think a lot of Blues fans believe, then now you got to go find another alpha dog. And that, Alexa, I think is the best, toughest thing to do in the National Hockey League now, because there's only a certain amount of alpha dogs in the NHL. You can't trade for them. You can't sign them in free agency. All you could do is draft like, them, and that takes a while. It's
5: like finding an ace in baseball, to where there are only a handful of guys that you can point you to gotta and draft say, them. there's an ace. There's probably, what, 15 guys that are legit aces in baseball? I know, like, there's 30 teams, everybody gets an opening day start, but, like... There's only 15 guys that you can point to and go, that's a true number one. That's the same thing with defensemen in the NHL. Is there's only a handful of guys. It's hard to get them. Now, the Blues had one to let him walk, but that, that's not the conversation point now. The conversation point is, how do we get back to finding that guy? Because I don't think Pranko's developing into that guy. How do you get that guy? I think Pranko's a solid guy that you can pair with a number one defenseman, but can you go find that guy? It's going to be tough. They're hard. They're hard to find, as you said.
4: Yeah, it'll be interesting.
3: We'll find out. Yeah. There's a lot more hockey to go, but uh, that's why the offseason, I think, becomes even more intriguing for the Blues. For sure. Because if Doug does seem to need to do a mass surgery on this defense, how are you going to go to with all these contracts that are tied to them? Alexa Datt, Tanner Hendrickson, i Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15, David Eckstein is going to join us, World Series champion, to talk about his teammate, Scott Rowland, going into the Baseball Hall of Fame. But coming up next, more likely to happen. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you which one is more likely 314-399-9646 comes your way next year on 101 ESPN
1: we're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN what's more likely to happen they'll figure it out BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen
5: That one felt good. Yeah, that was
3: good. That one felt good on a snowy day outside. Beautiful. It was good. Did you like it, T bone I did. You'll get your day tomorrow. I'm trying to
5: figure out why you uh, were so excited to get that one out. Hey,
3: man. It's, it's a fun day.
4: It's a great yeah. day. David X. It's hump day. It's hump day. That's hump why. Day. It's hump
3: day. I'm always excited for hump day because <laughs> that means the weekend's almost I think it's here. Good you
4: get
5: to go play in. in
3: the water What's left of the snow? The, the rainwater <laughs> that's out there home? right now. Alexa, Dat, Tanner Hendrickson, i Alex Ferrario. More likely to happen, you send us a scenario. Otter Air Comfort Service text line 65780 314 I just did it there, didn't I? That's the I old didn't. number. 314-399-9646. I'm disappointed in myself.
5: 314- <laughs> 314.
3: That's twice. 399-9646. BK does that in one segment. That's the that's the number. Send us your scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely to happen. Let's start with this more likely to happen. Russell Wilson is next year's NFL comeback player of the year or loses his starting job.
4: I think he's out as a starter. Bye bye. Go sit down. Yeah. Yeah. See ya. After
3: one or after next season. Yep.
4: Yep, bye God. We're sick of dealing with you We're sick of your antics Like everyone's just Oh, go Broncos Let's ride Okay, over, done uh, Bye Sick of those
3: high knees On the team plane.
4: Well, I mean we're, we're we're meditating We're praying Well, what are we doing? Well, just play some football, bro Just play some football Honestly, And he's losing the guys Yeah I mean, nobody wants to be around This dude right now Unbelievable
3: Honestly, the high knees Are what would get me <laughs> Like I'm in a <laughs> confined space. I don't need you taking up more space with your sweaty high knees. Sit down and just enjoy the ride. And you're on a
4: plane. What do yeah. you mean? Get the hell Play out some of cards here. like every other normal person on this plane. I
3: I actually I'm going to agree with Alexa here. And it's wild because how do you do that when you did all traded all of those assets to get Russell Wilson? You're paying him all the money to not be a starting quarterback, but I feel next season somebody is going to take that job from him because the coaching staff, the team is going to get sick of his antics. And I don't know if you can stop a player from being who he is.
5: I I would say it's more likely comeback player of the year. Now I had, I don't know if he can win Why that because it wasn't an injury. Wilson, I, I don't, but I just still can't see a spot once he loses his job. I mean, they can't even get out of this contract till potentially after 2025. If and I see
4: one more of these terrible Subway commercials from this dude, well,
5: that's fair, I but will
4: on my own go find I, him and have a conversation. It, it kind of
5: comes to that conversation of the contract plays, <laughs> and, and that's what Russell Wilson will be. Is if Russell continues to struggle, they're going to play his contract until they can get out of it. and. and it's kind of like we talk about where people were upset with, you know, Callie Rose not being in the lineup last night. Well, he's not making six and a half million yeah. dollars like three of them, and then Luddy's making four. He's just not going to play the contract. You know, it was basically between him and Tucker. They chose Tucker for more physical that was, play. That was yeah, the, the most...
4: contract plays, though, but to a point, right? But I, I, you start getting frustrated with a guy, and somebody football, else looks way shinier and newer. But you In You can't football, pay
5: Russell Wilson, let's see, what's his uh, cap? At $35.4 million to be on the bench, $55.4 million to be on the bench. In
3: football, I feel like it's different because that quarterback is so impactful on the outcome of a game. The defenseman one is the one I didn't understand. People so up in arms of Callie Rosen not being in the lineup last night. Who the hell are you sitting you're not sitting Letty. You're not sitting Krug. You're not sitting Tucker because Tucker's the one that brings the physicality. I, I'd sit Perico. No, you're not sitting freaking no. Pareco from the That would have five no, lefties no, no. in your lineup on defense. That's not happening. Like, Get the hell out of here with this. Uh, more likely to happen here. Comfort service text line 314-399-9646. More likely to happen. The Blues make the wild card or the Cardinals lose in the wild card this season. Oof. I like this one. I'll say it's more likely the blues make the wild card
4: because why? Because for the every- Cardinals, what are the Cardinals doing then? Are they not making the postseason? or Are they winning the wild card?
3: They're winning the wild card. Okay. All of those weapons offensively are going to be impactful this season. You're not hyping these. Guys. I mean, Ryan Ludwig told us that Jordan Walker's a superstar. You're not hyping these guys up just to be hyping them up.
4: So you think the blues are going to trade away? I don't,
3: I don't know if they trade everyone away because I wonder if teams aren't willing to part with what Doug Armstrong wants and they're able to move on from, say, a Ryan O'Reilly, but they're not able. Teams get better when you do something that triggers them, like the Paul Stastny trade. They missed the playoffs by one point that season because they played well after Paul Stastny was traded. I'm also picking this side of it because the Western Conference is awful. Minnesota has lost four games in a row. Colorado has leapfrogged them to the top three spot.
4: Give you your six points out of just a wild card spot.
3: Yes, but you play a lot of teams in the second half that are holding on to those top spots. Like, I think you play Calgary one more time. You play, No, you're done with Edmonton. You play Nashville a few more times. It's crazy. I understand that. I don't like it because I would like to see Connor Bedard wearing I'm, a blue I'm note. I'm wondering what's in the coffee. But I think the Cardinals are going to make it out of the wild card this year. Look at me being the optimist on the Cardinals.
4: I actually agree with you. I'm just playing devil's advocate for the fun of it. I like it. But I do agree that the, the Blues make the wild card. I do think that the trade deadline is going to make a big, big impact on this team. Just shaking it up. Mm-hmm. And I do think that enough pieces uh, are either moved or, uh, you know, impacted to be able to say like okay we're kind of reviving this team here and we're seeing what we can what we could do with the team down the stretch
5: i uh i i do think the cardinals will get past the wild card round but i think it is more likely they would lose in the wild card round because if anything can happen in a best of three series i have no faith in the blues making the playoffs because when they blow this thing up okay they're going to they're going to Jim blow today, this up
4: zero percent chance he said I agree. With them. Chance. I
5: agree. With them. I, I can't see this team being wow. a playoff team. I, I would. They wow. were, they're so desperate for points. when We talked about. It. They didn't show up for the playoff or for the game last night. They they didn't eight o'clock puck drop tomorrow. They thought that was yesterday. is so, not a
4: hot takey guy. That's no, not a hot take thing no. to say. He was being honest because he sees the team I, day I, in I and think, day out. I think
5: they missed. And to your point on Paul Stastny, the trade and they kind of and it got them excited. They got back and going. They only missed playoffs by one point. That was. Paul Stasny. We're talking about moving Ryan O'Reilly the captain. We're talking about moving Vladimir Teresinko, one of the best blues in recent history. You're also talking about moving Ivan Barber, have a, a key part of that Stanley Cup run. You're also talking about moving uh, Nico Mikula, potentially, all oh, and potentially Thomas Grice. I mean, you're talking about moving five guys, potentially. That's really a lot got, to deflect. We've deflate, really got uh, to the point of Thomas Grice but, uh, as the no, no, difference no, but maker. I, I'm not saying Thomas yeah. Grice is the difference maker, but O'Reilly, Teresinko, yeah. and Barby would be, and then those other two. Here's I mean, you're thi- moving five guys out, Here's the and you've got to leapfrog two other teams. No shot. Zero percent You're chance. giving more mm-hmm. ice time
3: to players that have been in the ahl all season that have a lot more grit that are better one, that's right not better oh, but not they have a lot more grit better. that they want to perform well, i thought
5: that's where he was going i mean let's
3: be real uh, uh martin Ferk, member of the ferrario five martin <laughs> Furk. you bite your tongue sir uh, more likely to happen from the 618 scott Rowland gets his number retired by the cardinals or goes into the hall of fame on his plaque with a phillies cap
4: number retired hands down that one's easy that,
3: that one's simple I to me one. yeah,
4: yeah.
3: I, if if he he's a hall of famer his number's going up on the left field wall in bush stadium which means his number's being retired
5: yeah
3: tyler o'neill is just gonna have to change his number
5: how's oh, tyler o'neill oh yeah, he's 27, he's 27. you just
3: gonna have to change your number scott if scott hmm. Rowland is a hall of famer he's already a cardinals hall of famer you're, you're retiring his number you're yeah. retiring number five when it happens you're retiring number four when it happens you retire number 27
5: I, I would That's agree simple. with that. I, I think it's more likely that they retire his number. I, I think they're. Good. I think he's going in with a Cardinals cap on. I, I don't see him going in with Phillies cap because all his. Always- Some of his best career accomplishments occurred here in St. Louis. winning in the World Series, finishing fourth in the MVP voting. He won a couple gold gloves, was an all-star here. So I would say more likely that his number gets retired. And I do think it will ultimately get retired.
4: And just to reiterate, so it's baseball's decision.
5: Yes. What he goes in
4: wearing. And then they consult the player and get the final check off from them to say like, hey, you cool with this?
3: So according to the Hall of Fame, back in 2001, it wasn't that way. 2001 was player decides, but apparently there was a ton of controversy that they shifted that to the Baseball Hall of Fame committee decides, and then they ask the player if they're okay with that, and then the player says yes or no, and then they go back into the decision room to figure it out.
4: I'm just curious if the committee goes to Roland and says, hey, listen, we want you to go in as a Philly.
3: No, we want you to go in as a Blue Jay.
4: And he <laughs> says, Pure chaos. As a red.
3: As <laughs> a red, pure chaos. And he says
4: no. Did, did they change it? I would love to be a fly on the wall in that situation that's what I'm saying. And, and hear how it plays out from there. Because what well, happens well, no, if well, We already no. decided, so we just were kind of giving your input just for fun.
3: Oh, so it's like when the parent says, "Like, hey, do you want to do this or that?" And they say "I'd rather do this." No, yeah. well, we didn't. We were just asking you to be nice. You're really doing it's this. It's more
4: so the girlfriend and the boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> we're,
5: we're gonna put. We want you to wear the Phillies. Oh no, no I want to have the Cardinals. Oh, oh. Uh, well, so we're gonna one. have
4: to get a new plaque. <laughs> Someone get the birds on the back here.
5: Sculptor. <laughs>
3: Oh, well, damn, we just gave you a Toronto Blue Jays. We'll settle in the middle. Let's, fight. Let's finish with this one. I like this. And then we're going to get to David Eckstein on the other side. More likely to happen of the six blues unrestricted unrestricted free agents, half get traded. Let's say more than half get traded. More than half remain a blue.
5: So basically four get moved. So four
3: get moved. No or way. Or four stay.
4: No way. Four do not get moved. That's way too I, many, guys. I would
3: say it's more likely that four get moved. I agree. What? O'Reilly, Tarasenko...
5: Sounds like Nikola's got Nikola, interest, And I think Barbie will be moved. I believe
3: one of Barbie or Achari is moved.
4: You had me at the first three. Throwing that fourth in there is mm-hmm. wild. That's, that is crazy.
3: If if they can't get a agreement with Barbie at this break, because I would imagine that's the conversation that's going to take place. Because O'Reilly and Vladdy, I'm not sure you have those talks. You go to Barbie and you find out if you can resend them. I think the same happens with Noel Achari. And if you can get it, they're obviously here. But if you can't, I can see them saying, we got to move on.
4: Are you assuming these are package deals or we're dealing with four different teams here? Like Doug Armstrong is getting literally zero sleep.
3: Depends on the package. I-, I could see I could see a team trading for, let's say, O'Reilly and Barbie. Problem is that's a lot of cap to figure out. I don't, so yes. to anybody, I don't know if
5: anybody's going O'Reilly together, and Vladdy
3: are going to be separate trades. I think Mikula is going to be a separate trade because he's going to be a depth piece. Barbie's the one that I could see be a package or Barbie's one that I could see individually, but I think four are going to be traded of those six. Wow.
5: And if it's not, if it's not Barbie or Achari, we've talked about this before, and that's why I threw his name in when we, on one of the last oh, questions. Yeah. Thomas Grice is going up. to have interest. Someone will look for a veteran backup goaltender, so if it's, if it's not those two, there's a chance it's Thomas Grice, but I say, yeah, more if, likely four If out. he performs
3: wow. well and gets a couple of more starts before the trade deadline, the LA Kings could come, come calling and say, we need a goaltender and put him as a backup to get half of the starts with whomever's playing for them, so be intriguing with uh, March 3rd. By the way, David Panyota texted us after our hit, and he said it was fun being on with both of you, and he said, I would keep an eye on the Blues because they're going to be an intriguing team come March 3rd. There you go. Gonna, Alexa, that's <laughs> Vancouver Canucks. Damn, I made fun of her again. David Eckstein's joining us next here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Alongside Bally Sports Midwest's Alexa Datt and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario as we head back out to our Brown and Crouppen celebrity line today celebrating Scott Rowland, who is headed to the Baseball Hall of Fame. It was announced last night that he is going in, of course, the longtime Cardinals third baseman, and we catch up with his former teammate and World Series champion, one of our favorites here on BK and Ferrario. He is David Eckstein. David, it's great to talk with you today, sir. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, especially after what happened yesterday. That's so exciting.
3: Yep, let's uh, let's start right there, David. What was the reaction Scott Rowland announced as a baseball Hall of Famer for you who's played with him for three seasons? Uh, about time. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, um, yeah, no, I was so excited. I was actually out to dinner, and I I mean, my, I got a text message letting me know that he had gotten in um, from a friend, you know, because we were waiting. We had a phone call earlier in the day. You think he's going to get out? I was like, yes, yeah, I do. I think this is his year. And so, no, just so excited. Well-deserved. As we know, probably one of the greatest third basemen to ever play the game. And so just so happy for him.
4: David, let's start with a story off the field because we know his on-field credentials. Something off the field that you can give a little bit of a window into his personality, uh, the type of guy he was, a teammate, something fun and entertaining for us.
0: Yeah, so um, probably probably my, my best story is the fact that when we actually were playing in Toronto, um, and he knows I like professional wrestling, and so um, a, a signed John Cena bat came up. I mean, belt came up for auction, and all of a sudden, you know, you know, you know how cheap I am. There's no way I'm I'm paying on that. <laughs> okay. And so all of a sudden, you know, hand raises up. We're sitting at the table. All of a sudden, he's like two thousand dollars, and basically, he bought me the John Cena belt. I have it today. I was actually that for Halloween. Here, to be honest, um, but like that's that's the person that 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 Scott is. Like, um, you know, I think he has the driest sense of humor in the game, and and you know he will straight face you, and it is hilarious. I had him. I don't. Um, when I got done playing, I had him talking to like one of my um, high school kids, and, and he's like just being you know, like you know, I would kill you.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, so, and, so, and But that's who Scott was. I mean, Scott was one of the nicest players, um, generous beyond generous, and just very fortunate to have him as a teammate.
3: So, David, we, we talked with uh, your former teammate, Ryan Ludwig, earlier in the show, and, and Luddy was telling, telling us about Scott Rowland and how he, uh, he held everybody on that team accountable when they got yeah. hit by a pitch. He said, if you winced, Scott Rowland was going to let you hear it. You got hit a lot in your career at the plate. So <laughs> yeah. tell me you were intimidated Scott Rowland.
0: Oh I, oh, I was definitely intimidated by Scott <laughs> Rowland. But, I, I mean, I was a little different. I loved getting hit by pitches. It felt like it was the only way it made me tough. <laughs> but the thing about the thing about scott scott held the club to a standard you know and and his standard was winning and i think you know it was kind of a little bit overshadowed within st louis because of all the great stars but what he did in cincinnati to totally turn that whole cultural around And to get them to the playoffs, I think that's where it really showed and shined through that that was it. But that was the backbone when we were playing. You know, he held us to a standard that you better show up, you better play hard, you better slide in the second hard, and if you're not, he's going to let you know. And so, but that's what you need. And I think, and I can tell you right now, that's what our game's missing in today's game. You know, those guys are not allowed. And so, and that's what Scotty was and what Scotty does. And so, we were very fortunate to have him.
4: David, when you talk about his defensive abilities, obviously we know the stats, right, with this gold gloves and and all-star abilities. But for you, where does he rank in terms of all-time third baseman defensively?
0: Uh, Oh, for me, he was the best. He's the best best third baseman I ever played with. Um, The thing about it was, as everyone knows, um, going to my right was not my strong suit, you know, because the lack of arm strength and everything like that. So, actually, when I signed with the Cardinals, You know, Tony Russo called me up and got me on the phone and stuff like this. He's like, hey, we just wanted you to be you. Just be yourself. And guess what? You've got a guy that's going to be standing to the right of you that will protect you more than you'll ever know. He will cut off all those balls to your left. He'll let you play more straight up and more up the middle because he covers that zone. And and that's what he did. You know, it allowed me to really be able to play a little bit more straight up that I didn't have to worry about um, too many of the backhand balls. With the last arm straight to throw in the first, that he was going to cut it off. And that's what Scott Rowland did. He made, he made the guy next to him so much better. And I think, especially when I was there, I guarantee his advanced metrics were off the charts because he had a lot more balls to get to.
3: <laughs> How much did that change your game, though, David? Because I would imagine it's a little intimidating when you know that that's your weakness and you're playing such a spotlight position, but you coming over from the Angels playing with St. Louis where you have that gold-glove third baseman, right. did that change your game at all? Well, well, yeah, because
0: of the sense of it allowed me to be more... Because like, I always cheated a little bit to the pole side, so uh, I, could get a, I could make sure that that... I was coming around the baseball to make the throw. Um, And so it just allowed me to play another step or two more up the middle, which actually gave, gave that side of the infield more range, you know? And so that, that was, it was definitely a comfort. And, and until you experience that on the field, you're like, Oh wow, that's, that's pretty cool.
4: What would you say the main thing that Scott taught you about baseball is?
0: Um, the, The biggest thing it's, it's a game. So basically you show up and you are professional and you play the game to your best ability. And that's what, that's what Scotty did. So it's like, like when, it, when we go back to the standard, you know, cause I was coming up, you know, um, through the system and don't get me wrong. I had a very good mentor and Darren Erstead over in, over in Anaheim, but then stepping into St. Louis and with those number of stars on the club, like what he, the way he went about it, I would say professionalism. It was unbelievable and get your job done you know the humility was off the charts you know he was the guy that wanted to check in do his job and go home he didn't care about the fanfare and so and i think that was the biggest thing professional professionalism being that great and being humble
3: people don't remember this and again we're talking with David Eckstein a former teammate of Scott Rowland, here in St. Louis but also in Toronto and, and David that's where I wanted yeah. to go because people may not remember that that you played yeah. in Toronto that following season uh, that Scott Rowland did also in 2008 was he the same guy in Toronto that he was in St. Louis?
0: Yeah he definitely was he definitely was um, he was he was going in to, to bring that mentality and that standard and he definitely was that guy there and even with me you know because I mean, I kind of struggled that year. I was actually um, kind of platoon for and stuff like that. And he was right there with me, you know, helping me out and everything like that. And so, like, no, totally the same guy. I mean, and that's, that's when you go to professionalism. You know what I mean? No matter the situation, no matter what club, you're going to be the same person. So when you got Scott on day one, you know I mean it was the same Scott on the final day. And that's, that's what he, he brought
4: We've also heard about his physical strength, which I don't know that I realized was such an attribute for him. I mean, the story earlier today on the show of him picking up Chris Carpenter literally by his shoulders and carrying him 10 feet. I mean, uh, that's yeah. an accomplishment. What can you say to speak to about his strength?
0: Like his forearms, like so like strong. That's what called man strength. Like, like he was <laughs> so like you couldn't even like, yeah, and. If anything ever, all you had to do was put his hand on you, and it wouldn't be me, but, like, anything, and it stopped, and you weren't moving. Um, yeah, like, like the gentle giant, because, like, you don't really realize it until you're there, and you see it in action, and, and he is so strong. But that made him so strong. Like, that's why the bat whooped through the zone the way it did, and the ball flew off his bat you know and so but like yeah definitely man strength beyond man probably one of the strongest guys i played with
3: someone was talking about that yesterday uh, about you know his uh, ability to to slide into second base and so, make people intimidated yeah. from a shortstop and second baseman's perspective david at that time of 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 baseball i would imagine very intimidating watching a scott Rowland come trucking down the first base line
0: oh my gosh like like and you mean when he, he, like he loved taking out the second baseman for the shortstop. <laughs> like, he loved that. And the, the intimidation factor, because as a middle infielder, like, you know the guys that come in hard, you know, and and you're like, you know, and you watch out for them, and then all of a sudden you are altering the way you go about it. Like, everyone knew Scott was coming after you, no matter what, no matter what the score was. If, the, if there was going to be a close play, he was going to try to put you on your butt. And so, and that led to errant throws and everything like that. But it also goes back to setting the standard. You always play hard, you play the game right. You know, and, and, and like, like Scott always talked about, like, like base running was so important. And you go, you go across the board. Anyone that's ever coached him or played with him, they usually say he's the best base runner they've ever seen um, run the bases in, in Major League Baseball.
4: Well, there's a psychological aspect to that as well, right? You're getting in the other player's head, hardcore. Yeah. I mean, Daniel Descalso oh, yeah. was tweeting out the fact that you had to be aware when Roland was on first base. There's a okay. double play ball. He's coming in hard to break <laughs> it up, and that just instills a, a sort of fear. And so it's very interesting that you have this guy who's like very intense and very motivated, yeah. but also a gentle giant, and and right. you know, kind of these these different personality traits that uh, are being used to describe him. Uh, how did it all come together in a, his personality in terms of? you know, his humor and, and off the field.
0: Yeah. I mean, it all came to get, because <laughs> I, I can't even tell you, like one of the funniest humans ever. And, and you just, it was just out of nowhere. And, um, but it was, it was all who he was. He's a, he's a country boy, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I, the, the one day I, I, I called him and he's on, he's on his tractor on his farm, <laughs> you know, like, that, you know, it was like ho-hum, you know, and, and that, I mean, he loved the game of baseball, he was very good at it and but he never took it too seriously, you know, and so which allowed him to be the same person and like like as as for some other players, it goes to their head when they become the elite of a game, and it didn't. he was still that same old country boy like hey, you know, and that and half foot you know adored him to so many of the of the players you know the team that he played on.
3: Final question, David, from me. Um, that World Series run that the Cardinals had in 2006, yeah. of course, everyone knows you were the MVP in that series against the, De- the Detroit Tigers. How impactful, though, was a Scott Rowland for the Cardinals to win that World Series?
0: So this, this, is, this is kind of the, I mean, like, I got hot at the right time. I think I was the hot, hot person at the time. But if you actually look at the numbers, it could have very easily been Scott Rowland. You know, what he did in game one, the ability to get us going um, and and how consistent he was throughout the World Series. You know, I didn't get a hit the first two games. And so if you actually break it down and look at it, you know, like, like he could have very easily been the MVP. We don't win the World Series without Scott Rowan.
3: One of the many reasons why we love him here in St. Louis. And, David, we always love getting the chance to catch up with you as well. Thank you so much for taking some time out today and doing this with us. Uh, enjoy the festivities in July when he goes into the Hall of Fame, and uh, yeah. enjoy the rest of the off season.
0: Well, thank you so
3: much. There you go. David Eckstein, uh, one of my favorites to talk to when it comes to Cardinals baseball. And he's right, Alex. I just looked at those numbers. Uh, he, of course, David Eckstein, had an incredible World Series run when they beat Detroit. But Scott Rowland hit 421 and had an OPS of over 1,200. A home run and three RBIs and two doubles. I love it. Like you have, you had multiple MVPs on that team and David Eckstein was one of them. Scott Rowland was the other. But again, as he mentioned and Ludwig mentioned, he was always overlooked if you can use that phrase because you had the horses and the Jim Edmonds and the Chris Carpenters but you always get to Scott Rowland and you say damn yeah, he one hell of a run in that 2006 World Series.
4: Yeah, it just really goes to show you how much uh, that team means to Cardinals baseball. Oh, absolutely. And when you reminisce on it, you're like, oh, wow. OK, uh-huh. we're going down to Scott Rowland here and he's a Hall of Famer. Then yeah. that means all the guys that are mentioned above him uh, are in that category as well.
3: Absolutely. And I love the quote that he gave Katie Wu. And again, go read her piece on The Athletic. It was outstanding. But he said he told his wife after that 2004 sweep against the Boston Red Sox. And he said, I'm never going to win a World Series because if that team can't do it, nobody can. Yep. And then two years later, he's a big reason why they come away with his uh, first ever World Series. Alexa Datt, Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Alex Ferrario. Once again, a big thank you to David Eckstein for joining us. We'll hit the rewind next here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: chance to catch up with uh, Ryan Ludwig David Eckstein talking Scott Rowland going into the Baseball Hall of Fame going to be a fun day Sunday too for our 101 ESPN Championship Bash happening at Helen Fitzgerald you can join us, Car Shield, Bud Light and David Taylor Ellisville for the AFC and NFC Championship Games enjoy tons of TVs to watch the game, food, drink, music, bunch of giveaways throughout the day, kicks off with a live pregame show at 11 a.m. we'll see you at Helen Fitzgerald for Championship Bash brought to by CarShield, bud light and david taylor dodge jeep ram in ellisville alexa Dad of Bally sportsman west let's end where we started blues a dud last night a dud on the homestand but still 12 games 11 games now going into the um trade deadline you got three in the all-star break and bye week still an opportunity to change the mind of doug armstrong but right now doug's probably thinking one way
4: I would think so, but yes, there is some time, and also, there was some fight in that team last night. If you want to think optimistically, which I know is hard for Blues fans to do today, uh, that comeback was nearly complete, and they've only one time in the history of the Blues made a four-goal comeback, so it was you were fighting right an uphill there. battle yeah. right and the fact that you you got close i mean obviously the shorty on the 6 on 4 was not great but no, uh, we don't we don't need to, dive yeah, into don't need to right talk now. about that uh, but but i do think that there there is uh even though they're inconsistent, there's a lot to look forward to, especially getting healthy players back.
3: Alexa, this was a lot of fun. Hey, and, thanks for having uh, me. You'll be in with uh, Randy tomorrow and Friday. I will. So plenty more of Alexa Dat coming your way. Appreciate her filling in. We've got BT tomorrow and Friday. We've got the Fast Lane coming up next. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 11 a.m. here on 101 ESPN.
1: You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.